and Matt Show, the disc golf podcast you've been looking for. What is going on, Nick and Matt Show guests? Matt, it's week 29. We have an incredible episode coming up tonight. I'm actually really excited for it. We have Luke Johnson from Fulcrum Media. He is one of the co-owners of that, and they have actually, for the last two years, done the live coverage for USDGC. So someone different than Smashbox was doing live coverage in disc golf. And then we also have the very fun guest of Nate Heinold to come on later on to talk about the new 2022 major that is coming out. And that has a major twist in it when it comes to some stroke play going on and then seeding to create a match play to determine the fourth major winner of the year. Actually, I think it's like the first or the second one of the year, but whatever it is, (laughs) some major winner is going to be decided by match play. And how do you feel about that? That, I have no idea. That news has kind of shaken up the disc golf world just a little bit to where... A lot of it. A lot of it. I've seen <laughs> some uh, really well-known like top players. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's just say Paul Macbeth. I've seen a funny meme out of him with yep. a very questioning why kind yeah. of face meme. The Jackie Chan one. Yeah. yeah. And then like Ulibarri obviously saying his piece. Mm-hmm. I've seen him on some shows. Ulti World Disc Golf interviewing Nate Heinel just like we are. I mean, yep. it's... it's inter- in this off season, though, Nick, we need this. Yeah. What do we do? We talk about disc golf is getting boring. Exactly. So that is. I'm just waiting for the coverage. That's what I'm really waiting for. It's just some <laughs> live disc golf coverage. Something to talk about. Exactly. So, um, so welcome to our live audience again. If you're listening to the post produced, if you will, it's still a live recording. You're driving around in your car or whatever. Hi, welcome to the show. Keep your eyes on the road. Hopefully, yeah. you're gonna have a good day or you had a good day. Um, and then let's shout out real quick, Colton. Uh, someone just chatted here in our chat window, our live chat for the first time, saying this is the first time they're watching live, but they've listened to all of our past shows, Nick. So welcome to Colton. That's what we love to hear. Welcome, welcome. Um, and so cool to see everyone joining in. We've got Luke Johnson, as Nick just mentioned, of Fulcrum Media, um, full-time working on the ultimate frisbee side of things um coming in to offer his perspective on our sport (laughs) and um big time media so before we get to him in about probably five seven minutes or so let's talk about do you remember i think it was last week somebody asked the question or maybe it was two weeks ago nick somebody said um do we know who james conrad is going to sign with and do you remember my immediate response no i can't (laughs) off the top of my head i don't immediately i said Oh, he's signing with MVP Disc, as if like I had yeah. the inside yeah, scoop. Yeah. Now, did we have an inside scoop? I mean, Techni- technically, no. We just saw, I saw a picture of him at the MVP factory. Well, I should say a picture of his van at the MVP factory. So that was kind of like either he was visiting, visiting someone or there was kind of obviously this was his free agency year. We kind of had the idea of he's more than likely at that point going to go to MVP. So, yeah. So that's why I yeah. just said it. No, I was it's, like, no insider knowledge, but Reddit, the Reddit world, by the way, shaking up GameStop and everything oh else. God. But the Reddit That's world, all my Facebook and Twitter feed has been about. It's like it's awesome for information. I mean, oh, yeah. like that again, James Conrad signing with MVP. It was kind of leaked. It was leaked. Mm-hmm. It wasn't official, but it was. Yeah. I mean, anyway, so he did. That's my point. Yep. He signed with MVP. He's not going to be throwing the James Conrad AVR nope. or the 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 T Bird or any of those amazing discs that he's good at throwing. So. Yeah. Uh, I'm excited because he's signing a contract that supposedly has the, you know, part in it where he's designing kind of like a James Conrad line of discs. And I think that's really cool. And I think a lot of more, a lot more manufacturers are actually going to slowly play that role since Macbeth and Paige Pierce have done it with Discraft. 
Um, I actually, it's funny because I saw a comment. Someone had wrote, all these big time players are switching to companies and then they're growing and just creating their own line of discs. And, you know, what's the point of doing that if you really don't like, you know, think the product is good enough for you? Like kind of you're going from Innova, who's been a long time company, one of the OGs, and then you're going to MVP, who's kind of made a name for themselves in the last few years, been around a little bit longer than that. And I think kind of my answer to that random person's comment was, you know, there's definitely a hole in all new companies of like a certain disc, like for Discraft, they didn't have that. Watch dis- out. You're treading on. Yeah. On well, I mean, until, until the Zeus came <laughs> out, they didn't have that destroyer mold. And I think the same thing, no other company has that zone mold. And so I think okay. other companies have tried to create the zone or other companies have tried to create the destroyer, but they haven't come perfect. Do so you now- think, and I'm cutting you off because we don't have all night to talk that topic, but mm-hmm. do you think that Macbeth coming to Discraft made Macbeth a better player? Yeah, I would say so. I think stats-wise, yeah. Do you think because he had to elevate his game because he had to relearn, like, disc flight? He had mm-hmm. it, it elevate, stepped up his game. I guess where I'm going is do you think that this might be the same for James Conrad? He's going to have to move away from his, you know, I think, I his, think his technically, binky, I mean, if you will. <laughs> for, for the most part, I think every top professional in the world can go around and throw any disc and beat 90% of the other disc golf world. Like, Ricky going to Nantucket played in a hurricane and found a DX Valkyrie and then won the tournament. <laughs> With using that disc Wait, as like a were you there? Disc. No, I wasn't there that year. I but walked like around year, with him on yeah. that card. He was so he had like, a trash bag or a, a shopping yeah. bag. Exactly, and, and he, he was found around a disc. like six discs. Yeah, like he found them on the court. Those those yeah. certain players, it's all about the archer, not the arrow. And I think for him, Conrad, and for Paul, I mean, Paul got up to what a ten sixty one rating. He never yeah. did that with Innova. Yeah. He did that with Discraft though. So that obviously determines all the different propagators when it but comes to the is ratings. It's a disc, but exactly. So, I think potentially, I think there is. There could point. be, yeah. yeah, there could be for sure. But at t- yeah, you just yeah. made great points on both sides. Of it. Yeah, you, um, James Conrad, by the way, someone is like, yeah, but they're world champions. You know, Paige Pierce, Paul Macbeth, you know, getting mm-hmm. their own line of discs. But like, come on, you have to treat James Conrad as a U.S. champion as yep. something significant yeah. to offer. If we're not holding U.S. champions, I, I'm not saying the world title is obviously that like coveted title, but we've heard even Nate Sexton say it. And maybe it's because he never won worlds. Mm-hmm. But we've heard even Nate Sexton say um, that he would rather he thinks he would rather another U.S. title. There's something to be said over, for that yeah. title than over Worlds. Exactly. So I think we give him credit. Um, thanks, Josh, my brother, Josh Graham, for chatting that he is a U.S. champion. I think that's worth pointing out. Mm-hmm. Um, finally, before we bring in our guest, Luke Johnson, our first guest, again, teasing out that Nate Heinold is coming after to give us everything he knows about the other side, which is um, the major um san francisco open as we've all known sfo yeah has just changed its title because it's moving um venues about an hour and a half to um i forget the name of the location now but it is now going to be called the otb open say that three times fast O-T-B-O. <laughs> and um but it is changing um sean jack still tding that mm-hmm. um and Sean Jack now, an actual um, official, I guess you would say, um, staff member, hired on employee of the Disc Golf Pro Tour. Oh, okay. He's like their yep. marketing guy, kind of, like salesman. Like, okay. hey. So one of the new guys just announced that he'll be working for the Pro Tour. Like, gotcha. like he's saying, let me let me come out and explain to somebody or sell them on why they should invest in Disc Golf and the Disc Golf Pro Tour now. Like, yep. it's the time to do it. So there's that. I don't know if you heard. I think it's kind of neat, especially because we're going to be diving in with Luke here in just a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, you 
Julie, I don't know how many people heard about this, but I'm pretty sure he made, I don't want to say exclusive, but maybe. I, I watched Smashbox. Shout out to you, Terry and Johnny V. I don't know if you're in the chats now or will be later. Um, but Yuli was on there and he talked about um, this new, I don't want to call it reality TV, but it kind of is. He has, I don't know even the production company. I think he has some local guy working with him, but doing really, really great work. I saw a tease of it. Ultimately what it is, it's called, I think it's called Scratch to Scratch. And check this out if you haven't seen it yet. What Yuli does is he kind of is showing off his coaching abilities. And what he's doing is he's taking a golfer who is new to the sport, whether it's a year or less or whatever. It's very new to the sport. Yep. And then he gets them up to quote unquote scratch golf. That's his goal over a three video series. Um, and it's like, it plays out kind of reality TV. Like you get to watch it happen and it's okay. all produced. So it'd be fun to watch for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah. So that's something that just got announced this week by Yuli. And then yeah. finally, do you want to touch on Simon's announcement and tell yeah, us what you know about that? Yeah, because it's a sad subject. It definitely is. And it's one that no one in the disc golf world wanted to hear. Um, Simon is actually delaying the start of his tour. Uh, he will not be playing Vegas Memorial, any of the Texas tour or anything like that. Um, his elbow is still not obviously anywhere close to how he thinks it should be. And so smart on him. And I'm really proud of him. And I think everyone in the disc golf community can say that as finally someone has actually taken the time off that they need to rehabilitate their body. Um, I'm excited for him to come back out on the road. Obviously, Simon's a really, really good friend of mine. I want to see the dude compete. You know, I want to go to a buffet with him in Vegas, but unfortunately, I won't be able to do that this year. So <laughs> with that said, uh, we're all pulling for him to get better, come back out on the road, hopefully come April, I think is his desired time. And then uh, actually, Daniel Willis just said this. I was just about to, but <laughs> check him out at 10 o'clock tonight. He'll be on the show. Can we show? Can we, we tried to pull our yeah, own weight. I, I asked him, I texted him and I was just like, yo, you want to come in? Cause uh, we got, you know, some live media coverage, some major coverage and you're a player. And uh, he was like, I don't know if I want to do that with show mess tonight. And I was like, oh, cause we have a three hour show and Can then they're going to be like a three hour show. I was like, yeah, you'd be screwed. Can you imagine sitting down? I told him, or I was yeah. telling you, he could do it out of our studio, but yeah. still that would be a massive he said tempting to that. And I was like, relax. Relax. Just chill. Just relax. Okay. So that is sad, but we did try and we'll have him on again. Mm -hmm. um, Absolutely. When Nick goes back to Virginia, who do you think I'm going to have sitting Yeah, exactly. Yet? Who's going to sit in studio? You're going to have Simon. <laughs> It'll be the Simon and Matt show guest host. Guest host Nick. Nick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't be surprised when it happens. I know, right? Okay. Um, so all that being said, we have held him in the green room for just about 15 minutes or so. His name is Luke Johnson. We're going to bring him in. Uh, we're going to find out a little bit about who he is because we're not even so sure. <laughs> but here he is, Luke Johnson of Fulcrum Media, or he'll he'll explain a little bit more than that. But welcome to the show, Luke. How are you doing? Uh, <clears throat> great. Great. It's fun being back here and listening to you guys talk. Okay. okay yeah. So to to disclose to everybody i tried to be a little i don't want to say disc golf sleuthing but like back when you guys announced or we're going to do usdgc um which is what we're going to talk about a little bit i started looking like who who are these guys so i started trying to figure it out and i found your name and i reached out to you but what does facebook do it sends me to some like request folder or something didn't it my message to you originally I probably yeah yeah i think so because it was i think it if was you're like not a, friends on facebook yeah. it'll send you yeah to that random folder i think it was a year later luke right this is you reached out to me or actually two years two years I think it was maybe. two years later that i responded to you <laughs> and this was just a couple of weeks ago so yeah you said uh, hey man like wow i saw this request i'd love to be on the show i don't know if it's too late kind of a thing and i was like no this will be fine 
So um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, first of all, first question, just make it really simple here is do you, do you play disc golf? Are you a disc golfer? You can see, like I got a couple discs back here. Uh, <laughs> strategically got, placed. Well, yes, strategically placed <laughs> for tonight. Though nice. these two always stay there. Those two always are there. Uh, basically, um, I got my first basket for Christmas and uh, I've got, six putters i've got about nine fairway drivers and and distance drivers because those are the funnest to throw <laughs> um and uh but i have yet to i don't compete i'm not a pdga member but i do have a local course i live in black mountain north carolina so there's a cute little course in my area love it it's a lot of fun to play but my roots are an ultimate frisbee player i started playing when i was in college and that's my love of, or at least that was my first love of how I got into uh, the world of, of frisbees and dis and and flying sports. Hence, you see the ultra star right there. So I only knew of really discraft, right? Mm -hmm. And then there was the Whammo brand mm -hmm. for a frisbee, but I had no idea until maybe uh, 2014 when the second pro league uh, of ultimate frisbee was going, and they announced that they would go with this other disc called the Pulsar, which is made by Innova. And that's when I started learning, oh, there's a whole bunch of other disc manufacturers out there and then the whole world of disc golf. But yeah. Gotcha. Wait, so is that, that's how it went? Innova <laughs> brought in their own ultimate disc and is that what the pro players are using nowadays? Is a pulse? No. Oh, okay. So there was two, there was two professional leagues for a little while yeah. for ultimate Frisbee, uh, the major league ultimate mm -hmm. and then the AUDL who I work for. The AUDL was the uh, originator 2012 and they're still around today and going way stronger even than when they started the mlu came in uh real fancy real kind of uh splashy but they did some things that were pretty impressive they were some of the first ones to get big major sponsors which is going to have a correlation to the world of disc golf yeah. like they were the first ones to get like skippy peanut butter put on a jerseys um and mm. they were the first to really get a big disc kind of contract with innova with the pulsar now mm -hmm. the rumor is it wasn't really much of a contract it was more publicity and more to try to essentially get other sponsors to come along yep. but um yeah it's you know the the world of uh pro sports uh for ultimate kind of in uh, mlu was only around for like two and a half years three years gotcha. and then they, they folded uh and my company started in 2012 technically with a, a conversation with the kind of the person who was going to buy the American Ultimate Disc League, his guy is named Rob Lloyd. His son, Mark Lloyd, plays Ultimate, has played at the highest level, competed for world championships at the uh, Canadian side. So his dad kind of loved Ultimate because his son played. Mm -hmm. And he bought the American Ultimate Disc League, and they were looking for a partner to do broadcasting, um, at least their own streams. And the only other... <clears throat> live streamer in the world of ultimate at the time was a, a group called next gen and they said no <laughs> they said no to them mm -hmm. and so they had no one to go with and this was sometime in like january before their season was going to start in april and i happened to have just kind of put my cleats up or retired playing ultimate uh, myself i played with the chicago team which is non-pro team but called machine mm -hmm. and the owner there happened to also be the uh the commissioner of the league for ultimate frisbee and he saw the highlight video that i'd made because that was part of my roots is making highlight videos and kind of 
working with youth. Uh, I'm a youth pastor too. There's a whole bunch of interesting roots, nice. but yeah. that got me into kind of the conversation with him asking like, hey, do you know anyone that knows how to live stream? And at the time I was going to seminary, so I'm trained as a pastor, and uh, my day job at the time was working for a denomination headquarters, live streaming pastor conferences. Okay, hold on a second. Hold, yeah. hold on a second. I'm laughing respectfully because many people... <laughs> Many people don't know this, but I am actually, uh, I have my bachelor's in biblical studies and I was a youth pastor and worked on a staff at a church for 12 years. So we have something awesome. in common and yeah. I started the whole live production at the church as well. So yeah, I mean, yeah. it's, it's funny. Our roots are very similar. That's why I was laughing. Cause I was like, wow, that's very, uh, <laughs> we're on the same page. So, yeah. Yeah. so, so you're getting cool. into media and they asked you to do it and you said, yeah, I've got a little experience. So where'd you go from there? Uh, we said, yeah, what's the game you want to stream? And they're like, well, we're going to do more than just like a couple games. We need you to travel around the country. And so like, we'd like to sign a contract with your company. And at the time it's like, we don't have a company. So I had a business partner or he became my business partner. He was my boss at the time at the denomination headquarters. And he and I, his name is Josh Havens. Uh, we incorporated Folker Media Group. And next thing we knew it, we we're on our weekends producing live ultimate frisbee games uh for the inaugural season that this owner owned it was the second season of the league mm -hmm. and that went on for maybe two and a half years until it was not sustainable to do my day job and do that and so i was the first one to go full-time with fulcrum and then i moved out to seattle uh was doing these productions for a while and i think 2016 rolls around we take on our first full-time employee, uh, a woman named uh, Callie Ma. She plays disc golf a little bit in the Seattle area. She's a rock star. She did all of our graphics uh, for the first USDGC. And in bringing her on, we're looking for more business. We knew we needed more business. The ultimate Frisbee market is small, way smaller, way smaller than uh, the disc golf market, at least potential in terms of the number of players and, and marketability. And I happened to, I think, scroll past the PDGA website and then saw there's something called a major and the USDGC thing popped up mm -hmm. and I was like, well, what's this thing? And so I looked at it and they had a media like little link on their website that said, hey, if you got questions, ask. And so I wrote Jonathan Poole. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have the I have the message right here. I read I wrote Jonathan Poole in 2016 saying, "Hey, uh, I looked at your uh, 2016 media reach article and found it very very interesting." Me putting two berries on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our media company was formed in 2013 with the advent of the American Ultimate Disc League. I'm trying to puff myself up here uh, to become the most popular Ultimate Frisbee League in U.S. and Canada. And basically, such and such like would love to discuss how Fulcrum could bring live coverage to your event. And within Two days, UC from Spin mm -hmm. wrote me back, and then that kind of got the whole conversation going with the world of uh, disc golf. And we were going to do live coverage in 2017 with them, but it ended up not panning out. But they invited me to come out anyways to see what the event would be like, and I was blown away uh, just in terms of the space and the number of people and uh, what was like. And then that led to almost an entire year's worth of kind of every month there'd be three or four emails discussing how we were going to do live coverage. Um, and 
you know, Smashbox was doing stuff. The Disc Golf Pro Tour was just doing its first stuff, right? So we had a comparison. Mm -hmm. um, also, apologies. As a camera person, my camera sometimes decides just not to focus. That's <laughs> so, just what I, it decides to do. Um, thanks a lot. I can't control that one. Luke, but, uh, it's so know. funny because you and me, as media guys, Nick's sitting over here. He's like, I'm not a media I, guy. I noticed it go out of focus, but at the same time, I don't care. <laughs> as long as we can and hear see, you, that, that's all. I, right, and there it goes. Yeah, There's now you're back in focus. Yeah, yeah, it's perfect. So yeah. to our, our, our audio listeners, they're like, hey, no big deal to me and focus out of focus. Yeah. But Nick was out of focus. If everyone goes back and looks at our show last week, Nick was out of focus. And I, I didn't want to say anything. I could not stand it. So tonight I'm like, sit down. We're going manual focus. We're, we're, not, we're not messing yeah. around. I thought it was intentional because the logo was in the so back sharp. was Yeah, focused. so the logo in the back was good. <laughs> I but thought it was just marketing. Yeah. The good news is the logo behind Nick is a caricature of Nick. So, I mean, at least he was better in focus somehow. Yeah. All right. So, um, that is – you answered a lot of our he, questions. He answered like three questions in a row. It was, <laughs> you know, give us a background. He got it. How do you have the contracts come about? You got it. And then I'll go with this one. Were you aware that the USDGC is considered one of the most prestigious prestigious events in disc golf? And if so, did you have any concerns coming in as an outsider, someone who hasn't filmed disc golf before? Were you concerned coming in as an outsider to getting into the most pre prestigious event? Uh, to your first question, had no idea. Mm -hmm. Like I said, like I had no idea what a difference between a major and something else. I assumed like similar to like our world of ultimate Frisbee, to a degree, like Worlds is going to be up there. World-type competition should be like the highest. Though even in the world of Ultimate Frisbee, the U.S. National Championship, similar to this side, is seen as often the most prestigious. Okay. Um, and even in the world of Pro Ultimate, the American Ultimate Disc League's championship is only just now starting to eclipse what the kind of... Uh, U.S. National Championship is, which is kind of in the... It's not a perfect correlation. Mm -hmm. it, because, but that's similar to your, to, to your answer. Like, no, I had no idea. And I think once I arrived on site in 2017, and I started seeing this. That's when I went back to my business partner. I was like, we, we're going to have to really step up our game <laughs> now. And I, and I've shared this with, uh, at least, uh, JVD. So like, I'm not casting any shade here. Like, um, you know, we, when we watched some of that first coverage, like what the competition was doing, I think we both Josh and I were like, we can do this. Mm -hmm. Like the, the, the cuts aren't always there. They're moving. Like the camera's going off somewhere else. The audio is not on here. There's clearly a, the, the, the level and the, where the bar was being set for live coverage coming in, in 2017. And so then for us technically for coming in for 2018 with our first live production, mm -hmm. we felt the bar was at a very achievable point. I think we also got dealt, I think, um, it's not exactly a super fair comparison because if anyone goes back and watches what our live coverage was from 2018 at the USDGC, it was live from Hole 17. Mm -hmm. So 90% of our coverage, 80% of our coverage was not remote, meaning it was all wired cameras in, which makes things way easier. Yeah. The hardest part of disc golf and ball golf for that matter is the distances that you got to do transmission from now mm -hmm. ball golf has millions of dollars often so they can run wire <laughs> a lot of times they can put down fiber cables and the few remote cameras they do have they've got two other guys behind with a secondary transmission tower sending it off to another place to beam it because they've got like eight people doing one camera yeah you know 
we don't have that luxury. Um, and I would say to JVD at Smashbox Credit, like they were doing a lot with way less of a budget than what we had, right? Um, I, I think there's a few questions I get asked all the time, which is like, how much, how, how big were the budgets that you got to have? Um, and what were the subscriber numbers and all that kind of mm -hmm. stuff? And like, I can remember some of that stuff, but um, to, to the point, I'm really impressed as I've now had basically three years of production of doing disc golf, but only three events, right? Let's keep that in mind. It's mm -hmm. only three events. Mm -hmm. There are three very big events, but only three events. Uh, I have an incredible appreciation and respect for those who attempt to do live coverage in the world of, of disc golf. It is really hard. Yeah. It is really hard. And especially, I think another factor is, and this is not, I, I don't mean to say ignorance in a, in a negative or a, a mean way, mm -hmm. but because there is such a, a large ignorance in the vast majority of um, the watching population that has no idea the difference between what it takes to do post-produced coverage versus what it takes to do live, there's, I, I mean, I can't tell you how many times the question is, well, why can't you just do it like Jomez? Yeah. Right. Oh my God. Well, yeah. And it's like, why can't Jomez do live coverage <laughs> like golf does? Yeah. So, and and that's again, that's a compliment to Jomez yes. and the other post-produced companies out there. The list is now huge. Yeah. Because you you still got to continue to elevate that bar. It's not like Jomez isn't increasing their production as well, but there is obviously a huge difference between doing something tape delayed or post-produced versus doing something live. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's why there aren't very many of us out there. There's <laughs> yep. been two companies, three companies. I, I mean, it's, it's hard to count it. Cause I, I get that like Terry Miller with disc golf planet kind of is also, that's the so, precursor to Smashbox. And there's like, yeah, yeah. there's different people that have been involved and, and you know, Jomez has done some live stuff and some other people have tried some live things and, but as far as like the the big hitters go, the big events, there's not many of us. Mm -hmm. um, no, and that no, it, that's definitely. definitely um, yeah. I was talking to Nick before the show, and I was like, man, like someone like Fulcrum comes in and provides the competition to you know Johnny V and Terry and Smashbox, and I'm like, first of all, and, and it doesn't even have to come full disclosure. Like I've worked with Terry. Um, on his own media filming and I, I like Terry. I mean, yeah, I like Terry and I like Johnny V. I think they would agree. I can hear Johnny V right now. Yes. Yes. Bring, bring the competition because he knows that the competition, you know, it brings a better product to everybody. Um, I think that'd be something totally cool to have, but to your point to do a production requires a lot of backing as far as financially because the amount that has to go into it is not and i'm going to ask you a few of these questions but it just maybe simply put what's the difference between filming ultimate and disc golf is there a, a significant gap there oh yeah like in terms of just the complications yeah. as well as the budgets yeah like mm -hmm. the world of ultimate frisbee it's a finite field it's a football field for us, right? So I can have fixed locations of cameras. I have a fixed environment. There's even some venues that are indoors. I don't even have to worry about the weather, right? That's incredible. <laughs> Our commentary almost always has a press box. I always have electricity. I always have internet, right? So these, like, what I have to worry about in the world of Ultimate is like some wireless transmission stuff because we want to sometimes have a roving camera. 
you know, you have this whole phenomenon right now where everyone is freaking crazy about the CBS and the NFL's productions of with their little mirrorless camera and on a gimbal and how the shallow depth of feel like. So like you have these things that we know that we're going to have to come through with as well. Mm -hmm. Um, but in terms of our, our costs, like, uh, ratio wise to do a single ultimate Frisbee game for the American ultimate disc league is a 10th of the cost of doing USDGC. Now keep in mind, ultimate game, three hours, roughly two and a half hours of actual like live time. Mm -hmm. But we're there for the whole day. We're there the day before to set up. We're there a day after the crew is for ultimate Frisbee. Like it's a three person traveling crew. Uh, shout out to my Ian Lunger and uh, Eddie Chan, who are kind of also part of the disc golf team. They're my director and replay nice. operator. Without yep. them, I couldn't do anything. Yeah. I basically just get to like stand back. Most time I just press a couple buttons. Um, they're the ones doing the hard work. Uh, Camera operators, we have four in the world of Ultimate Frisbee, sometimes five, maybe six if we're at like a, the championship weekend. I think people know, like this last USDGC, we had a crew of 22, 24, but that we included Central Coast in that, right? So yeah. we're also managing or helping manage this this post-produced team that's kind of with us, kind of not, So, but bigger, way bigger. And more days. That's the other big thing about USDGC. Yeah. Like, it's a four-day event. It's not just one day, but you got yeah. four days of coverage and... Yeah, but so, yeah. but you you mentioned it. It seems like the marketability, as well as believe it or not, there is money in disc golf. Like it's not when I say money, I'm not talking NFL or MLB or any of that. Yeah. But I mean like as far as disc golf, what it used to be, 15 years ago, um, it's got mm -hmm. money now. And again, nod your head yes or say no. But did they compensate you well enough that you would come back year after year to do this? Absolutely. And a huge shout out to, so this is, people kind of maybe know about the, I will say insiders to the world of disc golf probably know this stuff way better than I do. Mm -hmm. I didn't know any of this stuff and I'm starting to learn it. Like, again, I came into it thinking there was like one disc golf brand, right? Yeah. Uh, that people have a couple discs and then I'm just blown away with this whole world. There's this whole ecosystem of manufacturers and uh, peripherals and, and then, I mean, look at the media, like the number of video podcasters mm -hmm. <laughs> or mm -hmm. post producer, like, I mean, it's so much bigger than the world that I'm from, which is ultimate Frisbee. And I'm still making a living off of that. Like that was our entire company's thing that we did. Now it's only two of us, three of us technically. And if it wasn't for COVID, I would still be the owner of Fulcrum. That's another thing that's interesting. I'm no longer the actual owner of Fulcrum. Uh, we sold to the American Ultimatist League. Part of the condition was I'd come and work for them full-time and do what I do for Fulcrum. So Fulcrum still exists. I still help manage that company, and we're looking to continue to stay involved with things. Um, but to, to your point, or to your question of, like, do they compensate? I want to give also just a huge shout-out to, like, Jonathan Poole and that team at Enova, Harold Duvall, his son, Doobie, like, they, as much, can we swear on this? I can't, I didn't, I didn't you can ask. if you need to. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I, well, I, good to know. They take a lot of crap. I, I I've seen that. That's a very from, mild you know, swear. So yes, we can well, say crap. You said no. So I, you know, <laughs> no, I'm trying I know. to keep this friendly for the kids. Um, so <laughs> it's funny, Nick and I usually don't, but we don't ever like control anybody to yeah, or not to. Exactly. So whatever comes out, we're not going to ban you. So keep up the good work. What, 
So when I say like they took a lot of crap, they took a lot of crap in that first year where they decided to put this as a pay-per-view, right? Mm-hmm. They got a lot of people talking online, or at least there was a good vocal. I mean, this exists for all social media in the world that we're living in right now. There's a there's a vocal minority, most often, um, who was very frustrated saying, you're just trying to do a money grab for this stuff. And in knowing some of the behind the scenes and how much they actually lose on some of these events, or at least how much they lost in that first event and how much they were pouring back into other initiatives, be it throw pink or yeah. some of these other things. Um, I, I have been nothing but impressed with their character, their authenticity, their honesty with me. Like I will, Jonathan Poole as just class act, class act. I, there's, I, Josh and I, um, my former business partner, we worked with a ton of clients over the years. Innova and the USDGC, next to the AUDL, and I've told the AUDL this, they were the best client we've ever worked for in terms of paying us a fair rate, mm-hmm. being honest with us in terms of what their expectations were, um, being willing to work with us, uh, answering questions. Like They just were awesome, and they've continued to be that way. And I hope that there continues to be a future in that, but I also know the landscape of disc golf media right now and what the disc golf network and the disc golf pro tour have been able to do potentially changes that question for 2021 and beyond. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no if, ands or buts that they are, you know, if it was the game of risk, they have a lot of the territory right now. Yeah. A lot. So, <laughs> yeah, the Pro Tour has kind of exploded, especially after the last two years of the Disc Golf Network coverage and everything like that. And so, yeah, I would say definitely territorial wise. And that was kind of one of the questions if we knew or if you guys knew if you'd be contracted for the 2021 USDGC if it happens. And, uh, but obviously with COVID and the pandemic, everything's kind of up in the air right now. Like there was a ton of things that even wouldn't even know if Vegas was going to be a tournament yet. Or if it was actually going to happen because of everything going on. So it's kind of hard to predict, you know, 10 months into the future. But but we can ask, are you contracted for 2021 this year? Well, let me say first, I think we have far better understanding of where our world's going for this coming season of things, especially for something like USDGC out in October, than we were this last year. I mean, holy cow. Like, I think a lot of disc golf fans need to be super thankful of, like, how well things went. Because a lot of stuff went exactly as it needed to go for the Disc Golf Pro Tour and everything else to still happen. Yeah. Like, it's a freaking miracle that not more players came down with COVID or something major happened, right? Exactly. Knock on wood. So, oh, yeah, I hear but you. As, as, 21, as 2021 comes around and USDGC is concerned, like, first and foremost, my 95% of my life, 99% of my life, with the exception of things like this, are focused on the world of Pro Ultimate Frisbee. Mm-hmm. Uh, our season is moving towards a June 1 start date. I'm in charge of all the production for the game of the weeks, and that is going to be on FS2 again this year. Um, we're tape delayed, though there's a chance it could be live at some point. I don't think I'm spilling any beans there. Um, but there's a there's a high expectation for that production to to make TV standards. And then I'm also in charge of the 22 teams in the league to help make sure that their productions for their kind of pay-per-view over the air is working well. So my focus is there. The season finishes in August, mm-hmm. end of August. So there is time, space, capacity, energy, enthusiasm to do other work with all the gear that we have and the expertise that we have. So I am very 
very hopeful that we could come back and do 2021 mm -hmm. uh, USDGC. I would love to do more than just the USDGC. And I don't think it's any secret that I should, you know, I can say that. Like the conversations I have with uh, Jonathan Poole and the end of us out there in the world, like I would love to do more stuff. Mm -hmm. um, JVD and I have, we, we agree on a lot of stuff. I think the thing that we agree on most is that the defining characteristic that makes our productions better is reps. Reps. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we don't get those. He does. So I've, I've, <laughs> I've basically used that as my excuse sometimes that we'll make a mistake because we go into, we get one chance yeah. to make it right. That was kind of one of the next questions was what are some of the challenges that disc golf has brought to you rather than, cause you've been doing ultimate. You've had so many reps of doing that. Now with disc golf, you've only done a couple events, three events so far. What were the learning curves that you've had to go through to kind of feel like, you know, if you were to rate your coverage, you know, what did you have to learn to make it better? Oh gosh. Uh, to try to define uh, the, the, the key things. I think the first is trusting the, the hardest part was, was not knowing the game, right? I don't know the players. I don't know their histories. So when we think about the world of production, be it post-produced or live, a defining thing that I'm, uh, that I'm, I really try to embody these years more than anything, but it's part of our mantra coming even from Fulcrum is it's the story, storytelling. That's what our job is. Mm -hmm. And so I think the hardest part of coming into the USDGC and the disc golf world is I don't know what the story is. I don't know it firsthand. I haven't experienced it. I can watch videos. I can be told, but like it takes time and conversations to get down. Like what's that history between like Paul Macbeth and mm -hmm. the whole thing of like, he has the end of a contract. Now he's leaving that to go to Discraft. How much of that is known at the very end while he's, you know, putting to, to win the thing? Like there's so many fascinating storylines that we had no idea about because right. we just mm -hmm. don't know that stuff. And so part of it has been trusting, like you had a guest, uh, guest last week. It's trusting our commentators like a Hannah Macbeth. When I ask a Hannah in our pre-production meetings, what's the story for today going into it? Mm -hmm. Like define for me what you think is going to happen and then trusting those people that are in that position. And holy crap, I think that's alluding to you know, one of the other things. I think our commentary this year, in particular on our women's coverage, set the new bar, set the new standard. I, I um, will a thousand percent agree with that. Juliana Corver and Hannah Macbeth did some of the best commentary that I've heard in all of disc golf. And I loved the way they were both able to go back and forth with each other. But they also knew the story, Juliana being one of the greatest players in the FPO division, and then Hannah just really diving into learning everyone's story, kind of like Luke is talking about right now. And I think both of them just excelled with that. I, I thought they were incredible, which I agree. They set the bar very high, and I would love if every commentary pushed more into that professionalism that they did. If you listen to the show, um, I think our show during the USDGC this year, we actually do kind of review a little bit of the commentary and yeah. definitely we did both agree. FPO um, was awesome. Um, we liked the changeups that the MPO had and the, and the personalities. I, I think though the, the tone that Hannah and Juliana set um, with the style was just very, I kind of want to say it, it was golf esque in nature, yes. but I kind of like that. So I think, yeah, it was great. Agreed. Yeah. I, this is not a, it's not a diss on Philo and Ian and then even Nate when he was into those things. I think they have, there's been criticism of that. We could talk about that on uh, another thing, but 
Juliana and Hannah, in addition to what the things you said, they did this thing that is really, really hard as commentators. They gave space. They gave breath. And they allowed the moment to sometimes be the moment. That is really, really hard to do because there's a desire to want to talk all the time. Yes. I, and I, well, yeah, go ahead. Why? I was going to say, I, I literally said this last <laughs> week and I, I just want to say this really quick. No one is going to have perfect commentary because there's going to be the one guy out in the world or the one girl out in the world who doesn't like the commentary that's going on right now. So it's tough. You can never have perfect commentary, but for me, I like it when what's happening in the moment is happening. Yes. I know that Paige Pierce cannot hear Hannah talking about how she Grew up playing in Texas and everything like that, but when ha- or, uh, excuse me, when Paige is lining up a putt or a backhand or something like that, they stop talking, and it was as if I am right behind Paige yeah. watching the throw, yeah. or you know I'm somewhere down the fairway <clears throat> watching the disc land, and that to me is good commentary. Now, do you personally. have in the ultimate side? Is there commentary? I mean, obviously, it seems oh, yeah. to, they're probably reporting live on it, but it's like fast action. I, I was going to say that's going to be intense. It's. I think that. There's a really interesting parallel to like what the Disc Golf Pro Tour and Disc Golf Network is doing and what kind of the AUDL has done. There's some things that we're the AUDL is ahead of, and then there are things that they're behind on. But one of the things that the AUDL did really quickly in 2013 is they brought on this guy named Evan Lepler, who's kind of a he played Ultimate Frisbee, so he knows the game. He's a huge consumer of it, but he also trained professionally in broadcasting. And so he was a trained professional play-by-play analyst. He did baseball. He's done basketball. He's done across the board. And he continues to do those other sports, which also makes his game better. Mm-hmm. And there was actually a moment where he was going to be brought in for the disc golf stuff for us, but we ended up not doing it. COVID ended up making it uh, more challenging. Yeah. But that is by having someone in that field, one, for us in the world of Ultimate Frisbee, very similar to how the Disc Golf Network gets this, this huge advantage – I walk into each game. If Evan's there, he knows our entire rundown. He knows how we're going to start. He knows what my expectations are 15 minutes out from the game. He knows how to do the pre-tease. He knows how to set up a commercial break. He knows all those things that I don't have to then have to try to teach to someone else. Right. And he also is trained so well that he also can train the, the color person to know what they're going to be doing and how they need to talk through things. So it's such a valuable thing to have. For us in the USDGC, obviously we kind of had that with Jamie Thomas for a little while. And then that kind of switched and it was changing because some of that was outside of our control. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a, a continued dance that the the world of disc golf is trying to figure out. And, you know, to their credit, they're discovering voices that work and voices that don't work. And a, a huge piece of it is the chemistry. And that's the intangible. Yeah. I think if it would have been fascinating, I, I was listening to your uh, podcast the last time and I don't know, if, I don't think you asked Hannah this, kind of listed the whole thing, but like, and Hannah, I apologize if I shouldn't say this, but I remember asking <laughs> Hannah, like what she thought about the commentary stuff. And I'll just be frank, like she was nervous and concerned about the direction that we were going and that we ended up landing on. But I know for a fact that after day one, she was like, that was the right choice. Yeah, that was the right choice. Um, and her chemistry with Juliana was amazing. Yes. Um, but part of it, so so to my point here is, Chemistry matters. You can have the most talented people in the world. Uh, I heard you, uh, I think, Nick, you were talking about Tony Romo and how much you like listening Mm -hmm. to him uh, last week. Like, there's something like Tony's great, but Tony's great because his chemistry that he has with his fellow counterpart, right? So, 
Um, and they have to have trust with each other. Mm -hmm. So if I can turn this into one of your questions that I know you're either have asked or was going to ask in terms of like, what are the future pieces of media and how to get better? I think I swear Matt sent you the show notes. (laughs) We might've had a pre-show meeting before you came on. Nick. We did talk a little bit about it. Yeah. And I made some notes. I've, I've lost that Google sheet tab. So I'm just going off. I'm riffing. Go ahead. Media. Audio. It is so easy for all of us. So often, like as a tech person to like nerd out, like, on our cameras that we maybe have, or like what's that new glass that we can get, or the transmission method, a huge factor is like the audio. And this goes to what you're saying, Nick, about like that moment when they can pause and we can feel like we're with Paige. If we can't hear the sounds of like what her feet are doing on the grass, or if we can't hear like what that is, like the hands rubbing or whatever it may be, you're disconnected yes. if, you're, if you're that extra step behind. And I think an element that is going to continue to help elevate all of our productions, be it Smashbox with DGN or mm-hmm. us, hopefully with USDGC is how do we continue to bring the viewer closer and closer to the action with what they're hearing? Mm-hmm. And I'll then pair this with how close we can then get to seeing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of times... Do you, do you notice we've got the birds coming in? We're, we're hearing. Oh yeah, the what does sounds. that mean? We're hearing the sounds of nature. Oh, oh, okay. I wasn't sure if that was like a if that's a, something special. That's supposed to happen. <laughs> no, I, I, I figured something. Matt was doing something and <laughs> just bringing that's us good, there. That's good. I mean, it's funny, but like uh, Terry Roddy. How many of you know Terry Roddy? Yes, I know Terry. Uh, I but don't, I don't I've met so. him once in person, but besides that, I follow everything he does with the golf stuff, and I'm just. it's candy when he posts those pictures of all the cameras and equipment and everything that they get to do for the golf tournaments. Amazing. So a quick thing, Terry Roddy has been in the world of disc golf for a long time. He also was an ultimate player, which is really cool. He has this connection, but he is in the world of pro golf does production stuff there. And he has been with us year after year after year. And I have said this and I, and I, I hope you can hear this, but like after the, like the first year going into it, I was like, who the F is this guy? I don't know. I don't want this old guy sitting around. I have no idea what he's doing. And after day one, I was like, oh my gosh, I I don't know if I could live without this guy. And he's been back year after year after year. And he not only does he just get stuff done, but he is a huge, every year he's talking to me about the birdie mic. Where's the birdie mic? Where (laughs) are we going to put the birdie mic? (laughs) So, um, but the sounds and getting close to the action is, is I think an element of our sport that or the sport of, of disc golf and, and ultimate for that matter that we just need to continue to get. So the, and the emotion is going to be heard, but it's also going to be seen. And I can't tell you how many times do we get to see these shots of a, of a golfer play. And then this is what we see. <laughs> yep. What just happened? So disc, what, are they happy with that? Are they not yeah. happy yeah. with that? I, you know. Disc golf has come in Again, I don't know how long you've been watching disc golf media, but for someone in my shoes who's watched disc golf media since almost the inception of media, like back when Steve Dodge had a handy cam on Maple Hill property, literally just walking around with a handy cam. He's not a media guy. Mm-hmm. And then putting it together on his iMac and ripping it onto a DVD through iDVD back in the day and watching that compared to where we're at right now. I see it and I go, we're, we're coming, we're moving along. We're going in the right direction. But to your point, as an analytical media production guy myself, 
I analyze it in the same way as you. And and I'll watch and say, okay, the first event of the year, Waco, when Steve Dodge decided to have and hire on a whole live production crew in-house. I was like, I was pretty hard on it, but at the same time, and, and Luke, I don't know if you agree with this, you also, as you just mentioned, you know what goes into it. And so you know if it's an inexperienced crew, you say, well, I know exactly what's happening here. Um, they're they're attempting the right things, but they're not nailing it. And so to that point, I think we've come to where there's a great awareness of what it should be now. I really think that the disc golf world is aware of what it should be yeah. and what live coverage should look like. Again, someone walking around with a cell phone and Facebook Live. We used to soak that stuff in. We yeah, like, I remember watching European events and Avery Jenkins would be... Yeah, Facebook exactly. Live, and you're just like, I'm watching a major yes. with Facebook Live right now. Like, this is insane. Exactly. But. And so, I mean, like, we understand now, I'd say, in the disc golf side, that we know, like, that's not what it should be. And now we know what it should be. We want to see those reaction cameras because that has come a long way. Smashbox is doing a lot of that now. They're hiring more. This year should be bigger than ever. They're hiring more camera operators. They're going to have yeah. more cameras out there on the course. Um, and you understand doing USDGC, you mentioned, you know, 18 people or whatever it was. I mean, you have multiple things going on. I think it, it's not, this is not really a hot take. I think we're really close. I would say within the next five years, it's going to be amazing media, like amazing in the next five years. I'm going to nuance one of the things you said. Go I, for it. Um, and maybe this is just also my personality because I really have a distaste for the word should. <laughs> I think we know what it could be. Yes. And the, the, and, and again, this is not a criticism of you, and, but the, the challenges to get from where we are right now to where we want to be is time, money. Um, and I think that the, the passion slash like there, there gotta be the audience for it. Mm -hmm. And, Huge, huge, huge props to the Disc Golf Network and the Disc Golf Pro Tour for taking pay-per-view and making it at least seem sustainable, or at least, as we know, they are continuing to, to upgrade and change and move in a right direction. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know... I've had conversations with JVD about this, like that first year that we did USDGC and we did pay-per-view, like I think the first time I met him, he like the first thing he said was like, thank you for doing that. And well, one, I'm not in charge of that. Yep. I didn't get to make that choice. Yep. And I would have actually probably said, that's a bad choice. Like, why are we putting this, you know, as a producer and someone who's making content, I don't want to limit the audience, mm -hmm. but I get the monetary side of how to make this be um, sustainable. Cause it costs money to do these things. Oh God, yeah. And that I think has, has what they've been able to do and what the disc golf community has responded with has said, we are willing to pay for this. We're willing to trust you with our dollars and you're giving us great coverage. Um, Couple of, I have no idea how long we get to be on here, but I want to make sure I say a couple other things. <laughs> Go for it. We've probably got mm, somewhere in the range of 10 minutes. So, Okay. Keep going. Saying another thing I want to give them huge props to, and it's something that I, I definitely care about. Um, 
I, I wore the shirt tonight, partly for that reason. Um, sorry. Yeah. For our there. audio <laughs> listeners, he's wearing a blacked out uh, hashtag respect her game shirt that you saw at USDGC a lot. And mm-hmm. Sarah Sinclair has been promoting a lot. I, I am a white cisgendered dude with incredible privilege. And I recognize that I've gotten to where I have a lot because of what I look like and how I sound. And there are a lot of people that don't have that same opportunity because of the gender that they were born into or that they identify with or the color of their skin or the socioeconomic class that they're part of. And to the Disc Golf Network's credit, and I would say even the USDGC for what they're trying to do as well, to elevate, to showcase, to celebrate the stories of athletes who don't look like me is incredibly important for the future generations. Um, Unlike, well... I think all sports have this problem, but disc golf has this problem in spades, right? And it's a challenge that I think most of the community recognizes and wants to do something about. And a huge burden of that is on the media. It's on YouTube for who you end up having your shows. And I know I, you know, I think for it, I get it. Like I get to be on here, right? I know. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's, it's about those who are doing live broadcasting. It's about the post-produced shows and who are the cards they're going to cover. And so I just want to say again, props to DGN for really putting the FPO division at the same level mm-hmm. consistently. And I, I'm just, I, I'm proud of what they're doing and I'm proud of what we were able to, to try to do. Um, and I, I think that's another area of the the future of of disc golf media. I think that's a whole other area of, um, to be frank, like in the monetization and places for people. If you're looking to get to bust into the world of of disc golf, that's an area. Like, start covering. Okay, so your your camera and audio just froze up for a second there. I think the message that Luke is communicating is really important. Yes. Um, I, and as he said, disc golf has this problem, as he said, in spades, where how do you, they're the, oh, so, so he's, he's, he's still freezing. Okay. He's kind of come back now, but I was just saying, um, oh, am I back? You're Sorry. back now. You're back. So I was just saying that the message you're communicating is important, but it's, it's, and as you said, disc golf has it in spades, but you're proud of it. I think, I've we've watched, especially through all the, you know, different all the stuff you just mentioned, all the the last year, two years, the Disc Golf Pro Tour has reacted in in a very positive way for sure. Um, I know Jeff Spring personally, I've worked with him over the years, and I, I think he understands definitely, and that's why you're seeing it. He understands the importance as well. Um, so yeah, disc golf, that's cool to hear from your perspective. Disc golf is doing well in that area for sure. Um, and there's always room for improvement when it comes to that. Yeah. I I mean, one of the things that Fulcrum kind of, and one of our mantras was like, we really were intentional about trying to tell stories that were not of just white, white male identifying athletes. And it's been really, really tricky because our company has now folded. I've had to sell it. 
and I work for a professional ultimate frisbee league that is male mm-hmm. um, and mostly white and mostly upper class. And so the challenge I think that we have in in the world of media is how, you know how do we how do we do this better? Um, how do we make sure that we're not tokenizing? <laughs> um, and how do we make sure that we are allowing these stories to be told and not trying to tell their story for them? And I think that is a huge challenge and a whole nother thing on storytelling. But um, yeah. Yeah. So mm-hmm. from your perspective, mm-hmm. um, what's something that we could bring to the media side? What would be something that you think could be implemented fairly easily um, or that maybe you have dreams of implementing? Obviously, you brought in drone coverage this last year. Um, I personally thought it was an excellent touch for different I, shots. I loved it. Yeah. Um, like, I feel like that obviously, I mean, how hard would that be to bring in? Like, I, I am a drone pilot, but I mean, and I do media, but like, I haven't done the live production on the ground on a disc golf course. Um, what significance does that have to, to a, a tournament coverage? I mean, would you do that at every event if you were going to do it? I've talked with JVD about this, actually. It's really um, because you've seen that they don't do it. Uh, And I think a big reason why DGN has not done it, uh, two main reasons. The first is because they're going to all these different events remotely and they try to keep their crews small. That's a luxury. you got to have a drone pilot there, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And that's a whole other transmission system that they have to have. Uh, This year for us, USDGC, like, the cost to bring the drone in, like I just had to have the pilot because we actually piloted this year from the shack and he would fly out, find his spots and get us our shots and then come on back. The year before it was our, she was riding shotgun with me in the van as we followed the, the lead car yeah, yeah. and she was hopping in and out, um, which is a whole different story. I mean, there's some huge benefits with that because yeah. she could get a lot closer. Yeah. Um, I think the drone is really helpful when you have a course that's open and it shows shows for it. A wooded course is going to be a lot harder, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think, or unless it's fall and there's no leaves. That left, being said, know, though, it, and yeah. and I'm just reach, I'm just grasping here. Like obviously, it's it's a it's a extra luxury, but like I can imagine Maple Hill. Like I could imagine hole one. I could imagine hole eight over the water. Yep. Hole eleven. Oh, hole fourteen. If, they, if if hole fourteen, they had it hovering over the water and watched the guys throwing out over the water. Mm-hmm. That angle would be incredible. So I mean, I could see it. Um, well, but to your point, ask, logistics. Ask Jeff Spring if you can be the drone guy <laughs> for Maple Hill next year. <laughs> no, but but. So so here, like, I don't know. Is there anything that stands out to you? Maybe something you're doing with Ultimate before you go well, that you think could be implemented in disc golf and make it better? I, I think the the biggest next major steps that we're going to see in live coverage with disc golfs, that, that's the, the maybe the hardest. Well, let me go through a, a quick list. Features. D, DGN did this great. We didn't because we don't know the stories, right? We're not there throughout the season to mm-hmm. catch, like, how's Calvin doing and what's Conrad's story here? Like, DGN does a really good job of getting stories and having them nice and succinct and they can throw them into various situations. So you have Paige talking in the press conference before or after the last event talking about putting was really tough. And now she misses a shot. You can show a little feature of it, right? Mm-hmm. It's great. Yes. It's money. That's the that's, kind of stuff that's really you need thanks to, to Mo over there. Right. Yeah, that and, guy and that is definitely that guy has brought that, that this last producer year. Role yeah. That's seeing that bigger picture and being able to ga- grab those stories. I mean, live production. The best pro- productions in the world have probably a, like if they had a hundred videos that they prepared, you only got to see three of them. Mm-hmm. But they had a hundred prepared because they had 
they were able to show you the three best. And I think that's the next kind of one of the evolutions to disc golf is going to be continue to have those features of not just your first four for the top card, but you're now going to get buried into eight because you don't know who's going to emerge as the top story. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, That's one thing. I think the second is, and this goes to like you, if you watched our coverage from this year, like what an epic, epic last day. And what an incredible run that Calvin was making from the second card, right? Mm-hmm. Was it the second card or was it the third yep. card? It was the second card. I think card, it was the second right? card. Right? Yeah, it was Chase. I'm pretty sure it was the second card. And so being able to cover more than a single card, more than maybe even two cards, and having the ability then to follow that stuff and not just this Avery Jenkins with a cell phone, one angle, being yeah. able to see them make one <laughs> yeah. shot. Like you yeah. need at least two cameras on that, that next, whatever that player may be. And I think that's a challenge. DGN couldn't do that because they only had four cameras. And often they had this, the, the, the FPO was then also on top of the MPO. It's like, what do you do with that? And now you got to shift another camera over there and mm-hmm. it makes it a lot harder. Mm-hmm. So those guys, DGN obviously contracted Smashbox. That was big news this year. It's like the monopoly, if you will. I, interesting to your point, if you were to try to get into it, I think the only avenue would be to do events that are not sanctioned with, I say sanctioned, are not part of the Disc Golf Pro Tour, which right now, there's still a lot of events out there, but that's a lot of events, and those are the big events. And so you'd have to start, yeah, because even the uh, the Las Vegas Challenge is Disc Golf Pro Tour yeah, now. Yeah, it's a Pro Tour. So like, Plus, y- the you- Disc Golf Network is doing all the national tour stuff this year. And the national tour stuff. So like everything... So Fulcrum gets all the majors. <laughs> they get all... <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, exactly. So that's just an... I, I int- don't, yeah. I don't see... Yeah, I, I think there's a couple avenues where there's space. Mm-hmm. Um, one is they grow big enough and they have enough coverage and demand from their users that rather than purchasing and having additional equipment that they have to buy or rent or themselves, they subcontract with us and we're helping cover that second card or that third card. Right. Right. So we start to have more collaborative approaches to it. And this, I mean, I said this in a podcast a while back with like Charlie that, you know, I have no desire, even if I was owning Fulcrum right now, I, there's no way that I have the capital to compete with what they're doing. I mean, this is the amount of money that they're they're spending on studio space and employees. This is 200, 300, $400,000, right? Of mm-hmm. capital easy that you're just putting in and hoping that you're going to make some of it down the road. Now, when you're the only game in town, you start to control those other things. And so some of the questions I'd ask you guys that I'd be really curious about is at what point do players are they able to demand a larger cut or want more of a cut? Ooh, I think we've <laughs> I, How about I, I, the tournament directors themselves? If, if they got any cut. Yeah, so that goes to tournament directors. That's a whole topic. And then that goes to players. That's yeah. a topic. That is a great topic. And we, we you might know the name, Brody Smith. <laughs> we had Brody come on, and yep. it was kind of unexpected, but he, he ranted on that for a while, and we talked oh, yeah. about it. I listened to that one. That was a good one. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think, I think that is all very important part of the conversation. There's no way around it. I think that TDs should be paid, like hired and paid. And we're starting to see that actually, which is pretty exciting. Nate Heinold getting hired on as a professional TD to take like uh, the disc golf Great Lakes Open even this year. Mm-hmm. So like you're see- you're starting to see this develop. I think players are going to start to get cuts of this income at some level. Um, but what's interesting is 
I don't know. The players want as much exposure as possible, but I don't think they care as long as the exposure level's the same. I don't think they're like, oh, you know what? But, I want Smashbox to do it, or I want Fulcrum, or I want Jomez. Yeah. Like, they, they just want as much exposure. The exposure doesn't doesn't give them a set amount of money, though. And I think, say you're, you know, a camera crew, and you are paid to do this event, or, you know, like other sports, they pay to film the event. But if you're playing for that card, that film, that film crew, a lot of people have been saying they want to see the players get paid now from that film crew, which I agree with. I think eventually that's going to happen. I'm curious as to... Honestly, who brings up that conversation to the different film crews? Like, does the player do it? Does the PDGA do it? Who brings up that conversation? But yeah, some players who, you know, are having a breakout tournament, they might get some exposure. But at the same time, that player might not have, you know, a tour series disc that because of that exposure, people can go buy that disc. There are players out there who don't have a tour series disc right now. You know, like, let's say Kyle Klein you know, played great at MVP last year. And I don't think he had a tour series disc. I don't even know if he still does. He might've had a fundraiser disc that people potentially could have bought, but right now he got some exposure. Yeah. From being on Jomez and from being alive, but that didn't give him any money. How does golf do it? I, I, I don't know. I'm Brody would Brody I mean, be yelling yeah. at us. <laughs> Are you out there, Brody? <laughs> we're, we're obviously we're in the embassy of this. And I think it's a, everyone's got to be able to eat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, who's involved with it, right? Mm-hmm. And I think the the challenge is when people don't necessarily know how much person A or person X or company A is being able to make from those things. Yes. And there's the assumption very, very Okay, so he's freezing, <laughs> freezing up one more yeah. time here, right before he's ready to go. Um, Okay. So oh, wait, you, no, you're back. Just we just we cover for you. We just fill in. We just fill no, in. Don't worry energy. about it. You know, I I figure you're covering for me. This is like one of those transmission yeah, issues. Yeah, we had I love, we had a player know, profile stay. going on that whole time. You're good. Gosh, back to what you're. I was saying. just saying, you know, like we, there. Oh, there's often the assumption being made that like the DGNs or the Fulcrums are making a ton of money off these things, or even Jomez for that matter. And I think, you know, I could be wrong. I didn't get rich doing this stuff. I think we were paid you know, a a decent rate for what we were doing for work and the athletes need to be paid for that kind of stuff too. The, the community needs to continue to realize of like, someone has to pay for these things. Yep. We agree. And if it's not the advertisers, then it's going to be on subscriptions or something else. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. anyways, I have more questions for you guys at some point. I'm going to hit you offline with some of these. I I got some other stuff I'm curious about, but definitely. So, yeah, I think that would be awesome for you to send us your questions. Maybe we'll bring them up on another show. Or we'll we'll have you back on again. People have been in the live chats um, yeah, my, really my enjoying buddy, the commentary. My okay. buddy Trevor Harbolt just hit me up, and he said, dude, incredible guests, incredible questions going on right now. He's super excited. Which he said, is great new fan, yeah, new fan of you. Yeah, because oh, I'm loving this. I, you nice. know, we've you've also made your first haters, though. Don't worry. That's what happens on the Nick and Matt show. <laughs> oh, lovely. Yeah. So um, <laughs> I, I think... Coverage has been in talk for the last few years now, and the biggest thing is where does disc golf focus? Do they focus in live coverage or do they focus in post-round production? <laughs> oh, man. And I think this is going to open up everything, but where, you know, as an outsider who's done a couple events now, where would you rather see coverage? Like, where do you think is here? It is the better idea? Like, should we be focusing more on live or focusing more on post-round production? That's a long conversation, so 
let's make yeah, it. Yeah, give it a quick let's answer. Give it your, let's yeah. give it your condensed version. Dang. Gum. Oh, and that. then Skype goes. Am I back? Yes, you're back. back. Yeah. Yeah, I'm back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Perfect. Answer that. God. Goodness. Goodness. Okay. You, you asked that a couple different ways, which is like a little unfair. Um, <laughs> so answer I'll, it how I'll you answer want. this as succinctly as I can. As someone who does live production, mostly for his living, mm-hmm. and enjoys sports, there's no other way to consume sports. There's no better way than live. Mm-hmm. But there are reasons why a post-produced coverage of this particular sport of disc golf can sometimes trump live. Yes. Be it you're an international audience and that is like three in the morning, right? Or the coverage is four hours long and you are working two jobs. Mm -hmm. You don't have the time for it. So I think there continues to need, like the next evolution is figuring out the collaborative way to use both. Mm. DGN tried a method this last year, right? We saw some of the pros and cons with that. We tried a method with Central Coast. We saw a lot of cons with that. Mm-hmm. Maybe a couple pros, but mostly cons, at least in my opinion. Um, I, I think how to make that stuff work together is is really important. There, It is crazy to me that we continue to have six cameras on a card, but we only get to see sometimes three of those angles. Mm-hmm. We need to be able to work better together. I get, and I know there is differences in how we shoot things from post produced to live, but there are ways that you can make compromise that can make those things better. Um, and I, but fundamentally live right now, see if I can see my picture live is here. Mm-hmm. Post produced is here right now in terms of its coverage quality yes. and where our bar is live has to continue to increase. Now it's made some huge steps to DGN. I hope that we've come in and helped push that. I think we have. Mm-hmm. Um, go back and listen. We, go back and listen to our review of what it was looking like. We had a show the first night, I think, after USDGC this last year. Yeah, and we were probably. talking about what it, what it was, and I think I gave day one like a. Yeah, I remember it was like a five and oh, a gosh. half or something. Day one, it was so bad. And then this I year said, was so tough because we had no practice round. Yeah, there was no. Practicing. I know, I know, and I was like, very. I had a positive outlook for you guys, but then I think it was round yeah. two. I think I was yeah. saying like six and a half, or maybe I was getting up there. Yeah, and then I felt it was totally watchable, totally watchable. But it was there were some weird things. Yeah. But See, but gosh. but to your point, live coverage is the way to go. Yes, but I've, we're gonna do a contest, Nick. Let me just get this out there. Comment, whether you're live right now or post, we're going to see the comment. Well, actually, I think, yeah, either we'll see either or. Um, We'll pick somebody, comment, do you prefer watching live sports? I'm not talking disc golf Mm -hmm. or post-produced sports. That's my question. It's not related to our current disc golf because people are going to say, well, if it's disc golf, I'm going to say this. I just want to know the majority of people in general general sports, do you prefer watching live or post? I think it's pretty obvious, but I'm just curious. Yeah. See, I love... I love live sports. I love watching live sports with friends. I love going to a venue and actually like I love watching the Celtics play. If I have a chance to watch them play, I will sit down on the couch and do nothing else but watch the Celtics. I think Luke said it perfectly, though, is that in disc golf right now, post round production is an incredible thing. And I don't want anyone to think that I'll ever think that it's not because I love post round production. I was doing putting practice today and I was watching 2019 GMC and 2019 European Open. The coverage is insane. It's great. They're 30-minute videos, and I love it. But if I have a chance to watch disc golf live, 
I'm going to try to watch it live. And I would prefer to do that. Now, you guys analyze media in a completely different way than I do. I come more as like a player and a consumer of I just want to watch disc golf. You guys look at all the analytics and everything like that of, yeah, we had cons with Central Coast. Here I am thinking, I thought you guys did an incredible job. I loved every single part of it. I just love watching disc golf. So I have no idea what in your eyes went bad with it. There are certain, obviously there are certain things that I'm like, yeah, that's no bad blood with Central Coast or Ian love, love him and, yeah. and, and mostly love all of his guys. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I could definitely see, especially when you're coming into, you know, a crazy year that we had and you're taking two different film crews, one who is solely a post round production company. And then one who is solely a live production company. You have people that don't know each other in a crazy year. You throw them together. Yeah, there's obviously going to be cons that happen with that. I want but... to be clear and on the record, because I'm seeing the chat board, almost everybody's saying live. Yeah. If I was to ask a follow-up question, live, disc golf, or post-produced, um, you're going to have, these are the answers that are going to come back. I don't have time to watch live, and because of that, I want to watch produced. Now, that's not really the question. Let's assume in a perfect world you had time. Now, I know I'm setting this up to really pigeonhole somebody. <laughs> but, like, as far as the experience, like... You're going to make time for one event a year, whether it's the Super Bowl you go watch or whatever it is, right? You're going to make it. Would you rather have that unfold live in disc golf or not? And I think for me, almost every time, and this is even coming from a media guy, I would prefer it personally, even streamed on a cell phone. And I may be not, I may be unique. I personally but love to see it on live. You're getting to live. a point, though, that, that, that exists with, and I think this is part of why so often the answer in the current disc golf community is that there's this preference for at least a nod towards post-produced the level of production that the Joe Mezes and even central coast have been able to do is so it's so exceeded what live could do in terms of stats, graphics, names, mm -hmm. where people are at being able to follow it. Like it was far more consumer friendly and also super effective as a marketing tool to bring more people into the game of disc golf. So many people wow. are like that's their first experience, right? Wow. If their first experience is just live, especially if we go back to some of our old coverage, ugh, we might end up turning people off to the sport. Great yeah. point, Luke. That, Luke I, I, yeah, I would that, that point you just made, I think we're going to have to end on because we've got another guest lined up. But I do want to say that point right there, I want to be very careful. First of all, not because I'm friends with the Jomez crew. Not because I'm friends with people over at Central Coast. Mm -hmm. I'm not just saying that because that, because you know my preference is live. I've said that. But without them, disc golf, I believe, would not be where it is. I think there is, as you said, I don't want to say it in a weird way, like everyone come together, but man, what we could do with everybody working, and that's really what we're yeah. doing. That is yes. really what we're doing. We're just under different umbrellas. But that's excellent conversation. Yeah. People are loving this conversation. Thank you for I being think, a part of it. I think one of the biggest things also really quick is that live coverage right now is sitting behind a paywall, which I agree with 100%. I think there should be a subscription for live coverage. Post-round production right now is thrown up on YouTube where it is free. But you don't get the hype factor, the drama, and everything like that. You potentially have your tournament spoiled if you're waiting for post-round production. So there are pros and cons to both of them. I'm a huge live advocate. I love me some post-round production. But Luke, dude, incredible conversations tonight. We'll definitely have you back on the show. Uh, tons, Thanks for having me. Tons uh, of you people. all are talking to Nate next, right? Yeah, yes. Nate Heinel. 
Uh, make sure you ask them about 2022 Fulcrum. It's a company that if you wanted to, you know, have that major covered mm -hmm. live coverage, you know, there's always a, a company out there that's, that's looking for that kind of we'll throw your name stuff in there. out there. <laughs> for sure. So thanks <laughs> well, hey, again. I, thanks again I for really coming on. It. It's great to meet you. We'll follow up again. And absolutely. Uh, any other point when we have questions, media and all that, we'd love to get your insight. And, um, thanks again, man. Yeah, Matt, I promise I'll respond quicker than two years on Facebook. Once, we, on. once that, we got connected, nice. once we got connected, you responded much yeah. quicker. So thanks for that. All right, man, yeah, we'll catch up easy. another time. Appreciate it. Take it easy. All right, guys, that was Luke Johnson from Fulcrum. Um, not with Fulcrum per se any longer. He's signed on full time with the American Ultimate Disc League. Um, that being said... A lot of media experience doing yeah. major. He did, he did a major yeah. as his first disc golf venue. And that was funny to hear his answer. He's like, he didn't have a clue. Like, didn't have a clue how um, prestigious or big that yeah. event was. I just want to answer this really quick because someone actually, you know, asked me. Uh, I think they're for JMC. Thanks for comment, um, commenting, actually, just in any of this. But uh, I do, um, like, I don't pay for cable anymore. So at my when I'm at my house in uh, massachusetts i don't get to watch the celtics and so yeah i'll have to watch just highlights which sucks but if i am at an area where i pay cable or i pay for the nba pass or anything like that i yes they're sitting behind a paywall for me to watch that sport unless i want to go on reddit or one of those websites but i don't really know which ones work anymore um that sport does sit behind a paywall i think someone matt may had said the mma sits behind a paywall and i watch those when i'm with paul every single time and you have to pay to watch that sport so if you have cable or whatever you get all those um sports for a cost but or like uh youtube tv or yeah. hulu tv you know if you have those you can get sports but that's what 14 bucks a month or something like that so i think they i think all professional sports sit in a way sit behind a paywall it just depends on which sport you want to play like i know people who have the nfl game day pass I know people who only watch NBA stuff. So wherever all those come from, if you're just a huge Redditor and you know all the websites to go find them, but I, I personally don't. So we're going to be talking about, this is a, I yeah, feel we're like about to major this is really funny, right major transition coming up. So the transition is going to be talking about specifically the announcement of the fourth PDGA major. And this PDGA major was announced um earlier this week by the PDGA and it was that this major is called the champions, uh, the champions cup. Yep. And it is going to be held in April. And I think you and I already alluded to, Hey, a fourth major happens. When would it be? And we were discussing this a few shows yep. ago, or I don't know how long ago. And we didn't really say where though, but at IDGC down in Georgia, um, at WR Jackson, which to me is in my top three favorite courses that I've ever played. I'm obsessed with it. I think it's incredible. So, just to bring everybody up to speed, the announcement was made. Um, when I read it, I thought, ooh, this is interesting. That was my initial response. Interesting, cool, exciting. Um, how is it going to actually work? It, just my initial reaction. Mm -hmm. um, then you start getting into social media. Hashtag, you know, wow, what's happening with our sport? Majors are turning into, you know, circus shows, yada, yada. Yeah. <laughs> and it's kind of like, Wow, that's an interesting response. So we saw responses, whether it was through meme yep. or through comment or post. Um, we saw sp from top players saying like, wow, like I'm happy for another major, but match play shouldn't be a part of it. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the big part of that 
announcement is the yeah. match play portion. But before we get into all the discussion totally surrounding that, um, I do want to bring in our second guest of the evening. And we don't do two guests very often, but I thought this would be really relevant. And um, so we're going to go ahead and bring in Mr. Nate Heinold. Um, this is the vice president of the board of directors of the PDGA, also the chair for the PDGA majors committee. So a few hats there, along with all of your TDing of Ledstone and now the great, but congratulations, Nate, the Great Lakes Open. Yeah. Um, so you've got a lot going on, but this recent announcement is the most relevant topic right now. Um, can I ask, how long has it been in the works for you? Like you've always thought this to yourself or like when did a fourth major idea come to your mind? Yeah, I mean, probably the summer of 2017, you know, as I was running for the board, that was kind of something I really wanted to make a priority. And it literally has taken almost three and a half years to see it come to fruition. And obviously, we have another 15 months until it actually happens. Yeah. And so I guess, yeah, we do. It's not happening until 2022. Mm -hmm. Um I guess my question to you is, and this is just getting right into it really, is what in your mind defines a PDGA major? And this is just, I'm asking for your opinion, although I'm sure it's going to be uh, filtered by the fact that you've been talking about this for a long time with a committee and everything, but what's your opinion and what is a PDGA major? Yeah, I mean, obviously you look at what we currently have as a major, we have the national championship of the United States and the national championship. Um, sorry, I should not say national championship of Europe because I'll get in trouble, but we have a, a, a major that is defined as, you know, the, the continent of Europe, even though it's, you know, in one country. And so, so obviously the, the, the most prominent countries for disc golf, you know, are kind of, you know, uh, that 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 Europe region of Finland, and then we have the United States, and so our two, you know, those two national championships are a major, and then we have the World Championship. And so in the past, we've had the Australian Open as that national championship, and the Japan Open, um, but you know those have kind of gone by the wayside with other issues, not you know with the event specifically. And so the definition of a major is honestly whatever we want to call it, to be honest. And mm -hmm. so there's no real clear cut and dry answer after, you know, one of our definitions, I believe actually uh, in the PDJ kind of guidelines is that a national champ or a, a national championship is kind of a good step towards a major. So if a country comes along and, and becomes the next Finland or the United States, then that could be a major someday. Right. So, I mean, technically, and I guess more or less yes or no, like the PDGA, could they have decided like, Hey, we want to make the MVP open a major this, like the fourth major. Could you have chosen an event assuming the TD was on board? Like, is it acceptable I mean, to say? Yeah. I mean, five, you know, four years ago, I tried to make Ledgestone a major. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and, and the answer was no, the PDGA. So I guess that's the other aspect. The PDGA wants to control the process now for any future majors. And so, they they wouldn't uh, their opinion at the time was we're not going to let Nate do whatever he wants and rope that course up. We already have that once at yep. Winthrop. We're not going to yeah. we're we're not, we're not going to allow that control to go, you know, like that. 
what we'll do is we'll bid out worlds, we'll bid out U.S. women's. We've created this fourth major that we have the control over. Stuff won't be able to get out of hand. We have, you know, a lot of flexibility to do what we want. And so there, there was no national championship that made sense for a fourth major. And we weren't going to allow somebody else to own that. We, it wasn't going to be the dynamic disc open or Ledgestone or MVP. The PDGA wants, you know, that control. Yeah. For sure. So this is going to be a little bit hypothetical, but because, you know, you can kind of decide, as you mentioned, there's not really any rules around what a major is per se. Uh, just as I alluded to in the introduction, uh, right before you got on, is that match play was introduced to this major. Um, and I'm going to throw a little bit of devil's advocate at this, but like, could a board, a PDGA board um, committee, could they decide that field games would be part of a major? For instance, like we are going to do putting um, because we're going to set up the holes to be just, I'm, again, I'm playing devil's advocate. We're going to set up each hole in the final nine to be. 30, uh, 10 meters and that's our final nine that would be really kind of interesting i'm i'm saying that as i'm thinking about it. it's kind of interesting but it would make the sport and make the game look a little bit different but could that be decided i mean is that something that could be decided as part of a major assuming everyone agreed yeah. on it um i think i understand your question but we actually at the major summit a year ago which feels like 10 years ago because of covid time we had a major summit in January, almost a year ago to the week, and we kind of decided that the side games at World, so the long drive contest, the World Putting Championship, you know, those kind of contests, mm -hmm. we, A, did not want to call that person who won that a world champion, and B, we did not want to make that event a major or world doubles a major or mixed doubles. And so I, I would say the answer to your question would be no. We, we would not do something like that, I guess. Yeah. And, and to that point, I'm saying actually make it be a part of like, if you were going to do a final nine, like make it the holes super short, just so you can see somebody's short putting game. I, and again, I'm playing devil's advocate here because people are kind of, kind of putting match play in that same. Yeah. I think the in whole, that same vein of like, wait, I got you. Why yeah. are we doing, we're adding in a match play, which, seems kind of like an exhibition type yeah, of Yeah, I think a majority of the disc golfers out in the world right now when it comes to casual players and even professional players, I think they're all kind of, you know, kind of skeptical about how is a tournament, how is a major going to work for having, let's say, four rounds of stroke play and then the two rounds of match play, however it goes. You have two different mindset, two different types of tournaments coming into one. And then I think one of the biggest things I had seen, and obviously... The PDJ has a year to iron out all the details with everything. But I think one thing that people were talking about is players purposely tanking, you know, a certain round or whatever to make sure that they play against a certain player in match play. You know, like if Drew Gibson wants to play against Paul Ulibarri, you know, maybe Drew does something stupid, misses a putt from 10 feet because now he knows if I miss that putt, I play Paul first round of match play and I know I can beat him at this course. You know, I think. Everyone in the world right now, I think, is just curious. How is this going to work? Um, yeah, and if my video is frozen, I don't know why. So, but if you can <laughs> we, hear me, we that's can great. hear you we fine. Can, we can still hear you, so we can keep going. Yeah, if, if it's I, important to get back on video, you can end the call and come back. But yeah, go ahead and answer that question. Yeah, I would say that you know, 
I've seen some people say, oh, it's two different formats and how do I practice? You know, that's to me a little bit silly because match play is you're playing your competitor. If he's under the basket and you're 400 feet away and you have to get the next shot in the basket, you're going to go for it no matter what. Mm -hmm. So the strategy is if Matt is in the woods throwing five and, and I'm on, and I've got a 40 foot death putt for four, you know, I'm laying up because yeah. I've won the hole then. So, yep. so the strategy of match play is not that hard. No, 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 no I get that. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, and I've heard some of these arguments out there. I'll just say, hi, hi, Yuli. We love you on the show, <laughs> but, um, I know it's being said that it could go. Somebody totally blows up on a hole and somebody gets a birdie. Well, it didn't matter. That person's blow up score gets washed away, but it can also go. Somebody gets par, somebody gets birdie on every single hole. Then you don't have that argument. So it's not that it is going to be poor play. It could be good play as well. That wins it. Of course, it's going to be lights out play. Probably that wins it. But I, I guess that's and to say one more thing to Nick's mm-hmm. point about tanking. Um, yeah, Drew Gibson, I think he did that several years ago. You know, I, I would say the chances, I mean, that is such a hypothetical question. Yes, of, I, I agree with that hundred percent. You know, what, what if Paul Macbeth is in fourth place or what if Paige Pierce, you know, is in fourth place and, you know, if they're in fourth place, they're, they're probably maybe not having the best week. If I'm Calvin Heimberg and I'm in first place, I probably feel pretty good, you mm-hmm. know, about the fact that over four rounds, I'm ahead of Paul by four to five yeah. strokes. So I would be shocked if that happened. I, yeah, I agree with that. I, and obviously every single one of these top professionals wants to play the best that they can play because, you know, you win the tournament, you make a ton of money with it. So it's kind of, I, I don't think personally that people would potentially go out and tank it, especially because we are playing, you know, or they're going to be playing a four round stroke play tournament to start the event. And then I, I you know, correct me if I'm wrong, obviously, but and then they're going into the match play stuff. So yeah, players so, players obviously want to be at their biggest advantage going into what's potentially going to be the match play event. Right. And so, Nate, I'm sure you understand that perspective um, that. Yeah. So, Nate, go, let, let's go ahead and just get your video back in here. I'm going to end your call and I'll call you back. So as as we're going to get him back in, because his video just totally froze out, we could hear him. Our audio listeners are like, what's the big deal? Yeah, exactly. But um, so. I guess where I'm going to go with this, I'm going to ask him some questions. Like he has to understand the perspective. And I'm just curious what the, what the, um, I guess the call was like, or what the discussions were like inside of the committee, um, what those discussions would have been like inside of the committee. So we have him back and he's, he's in video so we can hear him and see him now. Um, so let me ask this question as I was kind of just alluding to it is what was the conversation like, if you don't mind disclosing inside of the committee meetings, was there hesitation to adding um, a format of match play? Was there hesitation from any of the members um, and or when it went to a vote from the full board, was there any no votes? Um, the full board vote will be in the meeting minutes here in the next few weeks. I There may have been one person to vote against um, the event I don't think it was for the format reason. It was because, yeah, it was because it wasn't going to be the same weekend every year. And, and they really wanted the event to be the same weekend every year. We couldn't promise that. So uh, that person voted no for that reason, not because of the format. 
The board did not have a problem with the format. Uh, the committee was definitely split on the format. Originally, we actually had it down to Stableford or modified match play. Stroke play wasn't even in the conversation. Um, and then the committee was like, okay, maybe we should, you know, uh, maybe we should just do stroke play. And that was kind of started the, the direction. But then we realized and remembered that the whole purpose of this was to do something unique. We, we, we didn't think it was worthy of a major just to slap it on a course and put a little bit of added cash. We felt that it was important to do something unique to have the event stand on its own. And look, if it, if it doesn't work, uh, you know, we're not tied to the concept forever. So, yeah. So, so was there any conversation I've been a part, I've been lucky to be a part of a lot of good, um, committees or teams, if you will, and healthy conflict. It's, I think it's a great part of coming to a great product. So my support to your committee, I think is a hundred percent. Like, I think you guys did it due diligence. I think you've thought through everything. I'm assuming, but we have to ask the questions. Um, did you guys consider what players reaction might be to this? Because that's never, it's never been a part before of a tournament of this scale of, or of a major was there conversation like, ooh, we kind of wonder <laughs> what the response will be? Or was that, did that not come up? No, I, I mean, I think we considered, we've been working on this for, for three and a half years. So, you know, we wanted to juggle the idea that the PDGA now has, what, 70,000 members. And, you know, this is really, let's just be honest, probably 15 to 20 people have a chance to win on the MPO side and maybe 10 to 12 people on the FPO side. So we can't just legislate something for the best players in the world. We have to worry about the fans, obviously, and our membership and growing our membership. And, and so, you know, yeah, you know, if we did, you know, standard stroke play, nobody would complain. Nobody would get excited, to be honest. We weren't trying to do this to get people to complain. So, yeah, we considered what the players would think. And honestly, I thought they would like it. And I do think that a lot of them do like it. It's just, you know, if, if you're a certain player and this may allows you a better chance to win, you may not vocalize that. You know, we've been in yeah. contact with the, with the pro tour players committee now, and we're going to get that feedback, but we've already seen some of the feedback of, you know, cautiously liking it, but they don't want to just full throttle endorse it because that's kind of an awkward thing. And to say, yeah. Hey, I have an easier chance of beating yeah. Paige or Paul now. So which <laughs> yeah. that's I, not the goal Yeah, that the goal wasn't to make it easy to beat them because they still have, you know, they're still going to have a great chance to win. It's just, and, and the goal wasn't to level the playing field or give a luck involved. It was just, let's find something unique to do. And that was the format that we've chosen for now. I think one of the biggest things is that, it's something new and disc golfers, how we've learned in the world, don't like new things. They like what's going on right now. And, you know, I can agree with them to, you know, almost the fullest degree. You were saying earlier, you know, this is something that's been in the work for three and a half, four years. You don't want to take another just stroke play tournament and throw it and make it a major again at this single course. What made you guys decide that to try this format of a tournament, why throw it up as a major first? Like, why not start it kind of first as, you know, maybe a high level A tier or even an NT? Like, why throw it right into, yes, this is going to be determining a major winner? 
Yeah, I mean, the goal was to create four consistent majors mm-hmm. each year, mm-hmm. not to kind of throw darts on a wall and see what format sticks. And so, you know, we were committed to the fourth major idea. It was more of a, the seven of us for the majors committee plus the board, we felt that we could make a good decision. And I honestly felt that the players would like this idea. And to see some of them strongly dislike it is, you know, uh, it's disappointing, but I'm very okay with their passion and, and I'm definitely listening to them. And that's why we've asked the pro tour players committee to give us feedback immediately. I mean, the event's not happening tomorrow. There's a lot of planning still to do. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. So you say pro tour player committee, just curious, is there also a PDGA player committee? Uh, that is this, that is the, uh, the P the pro tour player committee, um, is actually the PDG. I mean, when I, when I say pro tour, that is actually a PDGA committee. Okay. It's, it's maybe it's called touring pl- you know, okay. pro committee, but it's the pro tour player. Committee. And that's Paul Ulibarri is the chair. There you okay. go. Yeah. And so we have someone, you know, thanks for the, the $5 super chat there to get this question asked, but is there any um, precedence, if you will? And I'm sorry to sound like, you know, we're in a court case here because that's not it. We, we just like to know the details. Um, is there any precedence for other committee meetings that you've had? Because you've been a part of a whole bunch of these. OK, thank you very much for what you do for the PDGA. Um, is there any precedence for like, hey, let's run things by a committee before we make a decision like a, a, a major? Because it seemed to me. That Yuli, and I've seen this, you know, I watched an interview and I've seen him post things. It seemed to me like he felt kind of, and I'm not putting words in his mouth here. Maybe I am. He felt a little slighted. And it seems like, well, is that normal or is it not normal? Like, what's your opinion on that? Yeah, I'm, I actually am the liaison to that committee. And I'm not going to put them down or their work down. Um, but I'll just say that. It would be great if that was a really active committee. And Paul and I talked this morning and I gave him some next steps. And so I think that's what I can say. So the the idea that we just ignored them and didn't go to them is, uh, you know, CNN would say or Fox News would say that's true, but misleading. So it, it is true that we didn't directly send these formats to them. But it's also true that it is tough for probably them to be super engaged because they're busy and on the road a lot. And so, you know, we, we don't want them to be an afterthought. And I told Paul that and he understands. So, um, you know, and it's just we I want to use them. And I told Paul that and I, I, I probably told Trevor that before. It's just, you know, I can't be the one to get them to send us stuff like, you know, I'm. Yeah the player champion in my mind, like I'm doing stuff yeah. for the pro players, but I can't, I, I, I can't be the committee. They, you know, they need to do that. And, you know, with COVID last year, a lot of stuff was going on. So, so I told Paul to get on the ball as in a nice way. He and I are friends. I sponsor him, you know, maybe not after this. So <laughs> yeah. I'm just kidding, yeah. but, you know, no, we're friends. I yeah. told them to get on the ball. I told them that I could have engaged them earlier and we're good now. We're going to move forward and, and we'll get their feedback now. Yeah. And so I think that was a great response. I think that's honestly how I perceived that it would have been. Um, I think you probably, I don't, I'm not going to put words in your mouth. Um, do you 
understand people's perspective about how it's going to seem weird. And maybe this is based off of their experience of how tournaments have always been. But it's going to be weird to see somebody go into the final round with a significant lead and finish that fourth round, not the tournament, let's be clear, they're not finishing the tournament with that lead. But after the fourth round, having built up some lead over stroke play to then go in with what would be considered, I guess, all, you know, everything leveled so, out. Yeah, so that was going to be my hypo- hypothetical. Like, say, because we have that, people commenting yeah. this, you know, say say I'm leading this tournament right now. I go into the final round. After the final or the fourth round is over, I'm up by 10 strokes. What is my advantage going into the match play now? Am I, I'm obviously seated number one going to the match play rounds. And I'm assuming that I, as a one seed, am playing the lower seeds to start. Like, I would right. be playing, say there's right. 32 t- people in it. I'd be playing the 32nd seed, right? Well, you're going to play the fourth seed. Only be four. only four oh, there's only going to be four? Oh, okay. Yeah. Nick Nick needs to get Apologies. on the ball. Yeah, I, well, I didn't I, I didn't get to read Ulti World's article to it or anything like that. So literally all I know is that it's That's match okay. play. I brought play. it. I have okay. you know how many times I've stuck my foot in my mouth on this yeah. show. So I'm just going to say it's if for once... Thank you, Nick. So you have the yeah. So you have the the one through four playing. So my my advantage going in. So pretty much, it doesn't matter whether I go in leading by one stroke or by ten strokes. I'm the one seed, no matter what. Is that correct? That is correct. And so to answer that point, I would say, you know, first of all, this is not just a stroke play event. It doesn't matter how many strokes you're ahead after four rounds. So That's if what I mean. You happen to be, if you happen to be ten ahead then you've done really well. But I think the bottom line is the strategy is going to be different. If, yes. If you're in second, if you're in second place going into the final round, but you got fifth place by six strokes, you're going to play differently. So it's not quite, I mean, you may play defensively, you know, at Jackson there, you know, there's a lot of birdies to be had, but mm-hmm. you may just, some of those wooden holes, if you get a kick into the woods, you can take a double bogey. So you yep. may say I'm throwing, I'm throwing mid ranges and you may, end up being in third place. So I, I don't think that's a fair comparison mm. because, you know, it's not just a stroke play event. It's both. Yeah. I, I think that perspective is good because I think what's happening and I cannot speak for people and I'm really bad at, I always try to put words in people's mouths, but it's not, as you said, it's not a stroke play, but I think what people are seeing is four rounds of stroke play. They feel like that's the end, but it's not. You have to strategize out as you're saying, no, no, this event is different. It's actually you're playing. Well, why can't we just look at the Disc Golf Pro Tour um, Championship finale? Honestly, I mean, we've seen it over the years. I know it's not a major, and so some people are going to be like, it's not a major, so why are you bringing it up? But it's a big event that actually I I heard from somebody this week that they did try to put in to make it a major. The, again, the pro uh, the PDGA you know, said no to that for reasons you already addressed. But I think we look at it and say it's a different style event it is not one after four rounds. That is your placement to have a better chance at winning after, I guess, what we'll call the fifth round or fifth. Maybe you can elaborate on that. Fifth and sixth round, is that how it works? Are they going to play nine holes? Are they going to play um, first? They're gonna play, yeah, they're going to play 18 holes. So it's going to be like the semifinals and the finals, basically. Mm-hmm. And and we haven't released all of the details yet. You know, you know there's... Yes. Uh, you know, some people that have said, oh, the one seed should start with a two-up lead and the two seed should have a one-up lead. We just announced the high-level details. Obviously, over the next several months, we'll, you know, release the rest of those details and 
everything will be known. And, um, you know, it's not like we've, we've finished everything, all of the work, we're still working, you know, on, on the event. And one more thing I'll say about the getting to a big lead on the MPO side, two of the last three times we've been at Jackson, we've gone to a playoff. So that course bunches scores together. Mm -hmm. So obviously the event won't be there in 2023. So there could be a different course, you know, set up with someone being able to get out to a big lead, but the chances on the MPO side at Jackson of somebody having a 10 stroke lead is about the same mathematically as the chances for four people to be tied after four rounds on the MPO side, FPO side, there's going to be more variation, Uh, but on the MPO side at that kind of course with more trees involved and, you know, maybe you you could say more luck, but just more variation, it's going to be tough for someone to be way ahead. Mm -hmm. No, I agree with that. I think, I think there is a potential that someone could, you know, obviously be far ahead. My general concern of that was, what is the advantage to just playing a lights out four rounds of stroke play besides forgetting the number one seed and playing the number four seed. But I think Nate just said it perfectly in a sense of this is something that is still absolutely brand new. The details have not been ironed out yet at all. Pretty much. We just have a very broad scope of what this could be. And I can see, you know, cause we're getting tons <laughs> of people coming commenting okay, right now seeing, which i love we're seeing why don't we do a ripped revenge final nine why don't we do worst shot yeah. and this um, is this is where people are going to kind of yeah exactly <laughs> people are going to kind of so, you know throw out all these different things the biggest concern is you know why why not just you know i'm going to make the comparison to golf but why not just have the four majors be normal stroke play you know and this one i know you said you don't want to just slap it on a random course and make it a major i get that but why not have, like we have in the past, we've had four majors or five majors. Why not do that and then have this be an exhibition match? Have this be a fun, big tournament. You know, like I said, why not make this maybe an end of the year national tour event? I, I don't know. Yeah, I'm just going to, I'm hypothetically speaking. People, but. Yeah, I think the the comparison of a 30 foot putting contest to match play is, you know, or doing the. Uh, a rip final nine. I mean, match play is a legitimate, <laughs> you know, thing. I, I mean, I, I agree with that hundred percent. Tennis is, I mean, golf is, you know, it, if you get to the end of a golf major, a lot of times it becomes match play, right? If you have two players way ahead, which happens sometimes in ball golf, if you, you, you're, you're playing your competitor. So this really isn't that far fetched of a concept because really it's only going to, right you get to the end and then you're going into a i mean in an ideal world there's a four-way tie after stroke play and this is our 36 hole playoff yeah yes exactly someone said that earlier they i think his name is matt um he had said can we just reiterate that every single time a tournament goes into a playoff those two people or three people depending on how many it is they literally are playing match play (laughs) it could be one hole it could be nine holes but they are legitimately playing a match play event Whoever gets the first point wins it all. And the argument, though, to be made from the side of the the con, if you will, the negative side, is saying that, yeah, but they aren't tied at the end of four rounds. So I think I can understand their perspective. However, I also, and I'm not trying to play middle of the line here. If I'm going to be very honest, I, I was excited to see it, but I feel like that's because I'm a spectator. Was there any, I think there was, because it seemed like even the way the PDGA wrote it up, 
um, it talked about how uh, match play presents an exciting or dramatic um, type of finish. So it seems to me like the PDGA considered the fact of we want this to be something watchable and exciting. So it seems like, and, and I'm not saying one way is right or wrong here, but it seems like the PDGA said we want to make something for the players, but also for the spectator. It wasn't just 100% player. So that's, I mean, that's definitely true. I mean, we're a, we're a governing body of, you know, 70,000 people, uh, you know, you know, membership wise, and we can't just worry about the top pros, though we do spend a lot of time on them. And so, mm -hmm. you know, we obviously care about the competition more than pleasing the fans, but we still do think that the competition here is still strong. I mean, you're going to get the best four players over those four rounds are going to have a chance in the, 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 the semifinals and the finals. So it's not like we're rolling the dice. I mean, if Ricky and Paul and Eagle aren't in the top four after the stroke play, then, you know, I mean, then what is it? Then they didn't win. Technically, right? so, yeah. so I, I can, I can kind of look back on this and say, cause I have two points to make really quick, but if, you know, Eagle, Paul, Ricky, whoever, they're not in the final four, they didn't play well in stroke play. It's the same thing as if, five years ago or six, uh, four or five, six years ago, whatever, they wouldn't have made the final nine to win the world championship. Final nines used to be, I, I loved final nines. And I know a lot of players actually hated final nines. I've talked to multiple people who said final. Lines but why sucked. did you, why did you like them? Nick? As a spectator, as a spectator, it's an incredible thing. Like because of that final nine in 2014, Paul was officially able to come back from like seven or eight strokes and tie up Ricky. And then you had the most epic playoff in disc golf history. I was just going to, I was just going to mention that, you know, that's not why we did this, but that's probably the best, you know, moment of disc golf I've ever witnessed yes. was Ricky and Paul mono and mono, you know, obviously that would be great to recreate or Paige versus cat or Eagle versus Simon, you yep. know, whatever yep. it is, those are the moments we're trying to create or Trevor Harbolt against Paul Uliberry, whatever it yeah. is, you know, we yeah. want to create those those moments. That guy Trevor, he is in the chat room, and he's uh, he's yeah, he's, he's commenting, he's appreciating the conversation. Let me ask this because you mentioned it, and I don't want it to get let it get away. I thought you said something that it was intriguing. You said, you know, we haven't really announced all of the full details yet to this event. We've you know announced the high level, and you mentioned even we don't know quite maybe, and I've heard other people say it. I think it was Robert on an interview. I, I try to get all my information the best I can saying, who knows, maybe things will change and maybe there will be an advantage for first place. Um, you know, maybe being starting up a hole or two or this or that, like to me, and I don't know, I don't care how many people agree with me. I'm just going to say it, you know, hot take. That sounds like a circus show to me. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm exaggerating when I say circus show, that's hyperbole, obviously, but, but I guess what I'm saying is to me, I'd say, no, leave it match play straight up or don't start incorporating like little rules that to me would just be too far for my liking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the one benefit of this format is that it's really easy to understand four and four, four rounds of stroke play, four people make it to match play. They play until there's a winner. And I do like the simplicity of that. And yes, when you add in two up, one up, mulligans, what you know, you know, all that kind of stuff, 
you start saying this is goofy golf. And so, you know, I would be, I would be surprised if we added things to make it seem like a circus, yeah. as you said. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I'm I laughing kinda, yeah. because I'll, I I can envision it and it's just like, it is funny to me, but yeah. I think that some people have that feeling and I, you're, you're not, you're right. It's, it's a wrong comparison to make, but I think some people are having that feeling with match play. I'm not there, but I, I think, I can. I'm on board with match play being something to try out. But yes, it, what, I'm going to let Nick go here. But I, I keep forgetting to ask this: is so what are the chances that the format would change? Like you're in conversations, things of that nature, or is it like your? What's your percentage that it might change between between now and 2022's first inaugural event? Um, you know, we haven't even got the feedback from the players committee okay. yet. If a hundred of if we get a hundred responses and 99 are, we're not playing this event and we're serious, you know, um, then obviously we're going to look at that, but I would be surprised if we've changed the format. I mean, I, I think the response would have to be so overwhelmingly bad and we'd have to have people saying, we're just not going to play because this is the worst thing ever. And I just don't think that's the case. Yeah. I mean, I don't think we're going to get that feedback, but we have asked them and, you know, we're going to listen, but I would be surprised if we change the format. I mean, but I'm one person, I'm one vote, mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, we're, we're going to listen to the pros because we, you know, when this is their event and I try to call myself the player's champion. That's my, my new nickname, I guess. I, I'm, I'm kidding. Don't, you know, <laughs> yeah. so, you know, but um, the, the, the player's champion is going to be whoever wins this event, the, the champion's PGA cup, champion. yeah. yeah, the champion's cup, but, um, I'd be surprised if we change it, but we are going to listen to them. We're going to take their feedback and they may give, and they may give feedback on something else. I mean, the, the format is just one aspect of it. Yeah. I think I kind of have to, I'm thinking of other sports and how I can relate it into what's going on here. And obviously this is, you know, something different. We're going from short play to match play, but you know, look at college basketball all year you play tournaments and you get seated. You're the number one seed or you're the 32nd seed. Then you go to this match play bracket style tournament where the one seed does play the 32nd team. And guess what? Sometimes the 32nd seed beats the one seed. So kind of all year you're trying to be, you know, let's say for the four rounds, you're trying to be the top seeded person. And then you get knocked out by the number four seeded player because they played a better, a better game than you, a better round than you. So I, I'm very partial on this. I like the idea of it. I don't know if I like it to be a major the first time it comes about but so, at the same time like nate just said he's one person i'm just one person what was as well. your, but what, what was your text with paul like when you heard this news? i haven't <laughs> i haven't talked to him about it yet i honestly goodness i haven't um, talked to him about it. i meant so, to i meant to ask him okay about it. so oh, i can tell you what uh, I, I can I, tell you that nate probably talks are, to paul more than i do paul and i are tight and yeah. we may not be as tight after this we'll just say that <laughs> so so he's gonna kick me out. So. Yeah, Paul's listening to this while he's working out. Sorry, that's creepy, Paul. I know you're working out right now and you're hearing this, but no. Um, yeah. Eagles vlogs. Eagle McMahon in the chat room right now uh, with his one comment of the year. No, he he's done it a couple. He's times. he's been commenting. Hey Eagle, how, hope you're doing well, man. Hope you just smiled. You know, we're calling you out. But he said, "Let's go, players committee. We so yeah. so." I think you put a number out there. You said, you know, if a hundred players, so now here's the problem. <laughs> They've already started their, you know, protest sheets. They're out in Boston common or Chicago and they're walking around. Would you sign this? Would you sign this? But, uh, Look, we're, we're, yeah, I mean, we, we created this event, 
you know, wanting the players to obviously want to play it. So if it's that bad where they all hate it, we will take that feedback. I'm not a dictator. The PDGA does not feel that they are out to get the players. I mean, I've been trying to create this event for the players for three and a half years to have four consistent majors. We don't want them to hate it. So we've asked for their feedback. I would encourage Eagle to reach out to Trevor or Andrew Fish and other pros to do that, to give their honest feedback and allow them to be quoted and put it in writing so I can take that to the committee and we can look at that. Well, can we just do a formal transmission of his comment right now? He says, how about we do the four round event, crown the champions, and then the next day, the top four from each division play a separate high stakes match, play for a bonus title. Like, obviously, there are a lot of great ideas yeah. out in the disc golf world. I really think there are a lot of great ideas. This we, was this was I would one. Tell, yeah, and I would tell Eagle that the Pro Tour Players Committee definitely needs more people to step up and contribute. So he should yeah. Yeah. talk to Euliberry and, and and Fish about joining because I'm sure Trevor would say the same thing. We need more passionate people like Trevor and Paul and Holly Finley and Fish who are on the committee and. You know, Dave Feldberg's on the committee, but we always, you know, we're okay with more opinions as, mm-hmm. as you know, and so. Yeah. I think it's funny. I, Some, I call him our super fan, Kent Chapman. He goes, we need a fans committee. And it's cracking me up because I'm like, yeah, we need some people yeah. who are fans saying, no, this is what we want. Yeah, we I was going to say, our chat, our chat is so very like 50-50, whether they love the idea or hate the idea. So I think it's kind hey, of funny. But um, Hey, we're talking about it 14 months in advance. Yes. Yeah. Any PR is good PR. Right? But you got to know exactly. we're talking about it 14 months in advance because this is the off season and there's, we're, we're excited. And I'm, I hope it was strategic. We're excited that it was announced this week because we have something to talk about. Yeah. It gave us a subject to, you know, there you go. Eagle yeah, says, exactly. Eagle says, all right, I'm in going to try and join. There He's talking go. about, yeah, for the players committee. I, I think we can all agree with this and people have been saying it all night. We love the idea of a fourth major. And like Nate just said, we are talking about this 14, 15 months in advance right now. The details haven't fully been ironed out yet. This isn't set in stone that it's exactly going to be like this. But we're talking about it. Any publicity is good publicity. And I think in a sense, that's what we're getting at right now. And I I love the discussions that we're able to have with Nate. The discussion we're able to have with our chat board right now, like Eagle being able to comment, Trevor being able to comment, and everyone else. Um, I do hope if there are any other touring pros watching right now, like please comment your idea. If it, <laughs> if you want, say you want to keep it anonymous, and I <laughs> won't use your name. But here's but. here's something cool, and and here I get into my little like humanity side. There's people who see you, Nate, and you've known this because the first time we had you on the show, go back and watch that, everybody. We asked, like, what's the biggest misconception, like, about you? And, like, I, I think that was one of the questions, and more or less, the the way you want things done is how you get it done kind of a thing. You're stubborn, right? It, that's how, like, people... And we had people commenting when we were talking and previewing that you were coming on the show tonight. Like, ask him why he's being so stubborn about... And I was like, hold on. <laughs> like, I'm like, that's a, that's a major assumption. Yeah. Like, do we know that he's being stubborn? One, I said it had to go through the committee and the board. Yeah. Like, and so to hear you saying this on here, we're having comments coming in saying like, wow, he seems to have an open mind about it. All this stuff is coming in. I always like to give the benefit of listening to the, the individual, like the horse's mouth, if you will. Oh, yeah. Um, and so I'm glad you came on the show. We're excited about a fourth major for sure. We've talked about it for a little bit on the show too. Um, can I ask 2023 or, or did you already put your bid in for it? Are you going to, 
<laughs> you're gonna do it oh i'll be i'll be bidding for something that year i don't want to say it too loud because my <laughs> wife can probably hear it in the next room but um you know in 2022 i'm hosting Glow, ledgestone and combined worlds ju- you know junior masters so it's a busy it's a busy time so yeah um I'm sure there's something else up my sleeve I'll be working on. Yeah. I haven't thought of it yet, but I'm sure there'll be some other event I bid on or create or whatever well, it is. So. And because the next couple years, or is it 10 years, you're doing Leadstone and D-Glow? Is that both? Or is it three years for D-Glow? Or I don't remember. Something like that. It'll be at least three years for D-Glow and 10 years for Leadstone. So, yep. Yeah. So, I mean, you've, you've got your work cut out for you regardless if you put any other bids in. Um, I think it's I really do. cool. Um I consider you definitely a professional TD. So, oh God, yeah. and and thank you. All the accolades. I mean, just everything from serving on the board as the vice president, uh, doing this committee for the major, running Ledgestone, um, Glow, the again for the Masters and Junior Worlds, um, all all of those things. <laughs> I I feel weird saying this to your face, but like set you apart. You were doing things in the world of disc golf that are yeah. set apart. It's its own thing. Um, but it's all for the betterment of the sport. I don't think people can thank you enough. Um, I, I feel like everyone listening hopefully got a good perspective from you tonight. Um, yeah, is there any, is you. there anything that you would like to say that we missed that would be good putting out there to the people watching later I say or listening? One thing before he goes off, but go ahead, Nate. <clears throat> yeah, no, I just mean if there's anything we missed that you think would help cast another perspective, something that we missed, maybe. No, I think you're okay. I'm, I'm, I'm great with the passion. I appreciate all the opinions and, uh, we are, uh, you know, we're good to go. I think, yeah, absolutely. And, um, I want to say this cause one of our buddies in the chat, Matt may had said this, um, I think it was him. Someone said it, but they were asking, and I think you're the first TD to kind of open up this jar of worms, but a rating cap on tournaments and, especially for major tournaments, high level tournaments and everything like that. I think you were the first one who brought up the idea of, you know, for example, only people 975 rated and above can enter this tournament. And I'll say for major events, I love that idea. I think it's an incredible idea in the sense of, I think it motivates people who aren't at that rating yet to get up to that rating for a chance to play at major events. And I think it also, you know, helps out touring players who one of the biggest things in disc golf that's an issue right now is signing up for tournaments because every single tournament is filling up within minutes of you being able to sign up for it so you have people who missed signups at a certain tournament because they could have had bad internet connection or whatever and now they're 25th on the wait list at a you know high level a tier that everyone likes to go to so i guess i could kind of ask you what are your thoughts on it and then for me my thoughts i think anything a tier and above should have a very long kind of like tier list. Like if you're 975 and above, you have till this date to sign up, but like make it very stretched out. And then for pro tours and above, I think it should be, you know, 970 and above are the only ones allowed to play the event. Obviously I know that's not going to happen right now, but I think in the future that will be something. Okay. So you're asking me. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. I, 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 uh, I can answer this and then I have to go be a professional dad. Um, because I hear, uh, hear my son Max uh, longing for somebody. But the I tried to push pretty hard for a Ledgestone ratings floor. I, I actually call it a ratings floor, I guess, because a ratings cap sounds like it's the high end. So Yeah, a rating um, floor, yes. So I pushed for a 
50 ratings floor for Ledgestone. I didn't get that approval, but I did get approval to space out the registration tiers to make sure that the best players in the world can play. And so based on the tiers, I'd be surprised if anybody below 970 plays Ledgestone this year. And then D-Glow, to a lesser extent, it's a tight timeline. Um, so D-Glow, I mean, there may be nobody under 970. And look, I'm 978. As long as the tier is below where I'm rated, I'm fine with tiers. If it goes too low, or if my rating goes down, I'm going to have to move the tier. So, right? Because, you know, <laughs> you have the ball I want to play court. the MVP Open again someday. So yeah. no, I'm just kidding. So I, I, I would be shocked if within two or three years, we have a 950 to 970 ratings floor. I'd be shocked if that wasn't the case. So I think we'll see that in the next few years. Yes, I agree. And it was 950. And I actually, I kind of retract what I was saying. I was saying 975 because that's what I thought it was. But 950, I think, is an incredible spot for kind of that ratings floor. Um, But that's in due time. I I think that's another change in disc golf that will eventually happen. And honestly... I just think it's a more of a motivation thing. Like I think if for a tournament, if it ever says, you know, Hey, you cannot play the world championships unless you're a thousand and above. That's just more motivation for me to take my nine eighty eight rating and go up to a thousand, you know, and try to really, really work for that. Cause I do want to play the world championships. So yeah, for Nate, sure. Go be a professional dad. We really, really appreciate you coming on the show tonight <laughs> and just kind of like answering a ton of questions that I know a lot of people are asking. And to be honest, there's still a million more questions out there. I think in a few months, when more talks of this tournament comes out, we'll have to have you back on the show to make sure we can, yep. you know, I think this will be a consistent thing to where new information comes out. Hey, let's try to get Nate on. I, I really do think, especially for this wild of an idea. So we really appreciate you coming yeah, on. Yeah, th- thanks for responding to, to my message. Sometimes, you know, people don't get back and you did. So I'm always like, yes, yes, Nick and Matt show. Here we go. So thanks yeah. a lot, Nate. Yep. Thanks. Guys. All right. We'll talk Take to you easy, later. Nate. Bye. All right, so that was obviously Nate Heinel. Um, wow, we had some good feedback tonight in the chat room. I just thought yeah. there was a lot of. I'm going to use the word wholesome. Yeah, like, no, I agree with that. It 100%. was a I, lot. I've of loved great interacting tonight. with the chat tonight and just interacting with our guests tonight. I, I've had an incredible time actually with this episode and just these are two major subjects in disc golf right now that we're juggling between whether it is. Video coverage, which is obviously a huge topic, especially since Brody has gotten into the sport. Video production has been like the number one talk of disc golf right now. And then now we're getting into, yes, we finally have a fourth major coming up. And what are the players' ideas of it? What are the fans' ideas of it? I was just talking to Eagle on Instagram. And I was like, dude, I want all the touring pros. Like, I want their thoughts on this. Because above all, they're the ones who are playing the tournament. Yes, we get to watch the tournament. And obviously, like I said a million times, any disc golf to me is good disc golf to watch. So. I really want to know what is Eagle's mindset? You know, what's Yuli's, what's, you know, Paul McBeth's, what's Yuli, uh, you know, Jeremy Colling, everyone like that. That's what I want to know. But I think in the next few months, we're just going to get overloaded with information about this event. And I think it's going to change like four different times. Like what the format could potentially be. I think it'll consistently change as the Pro Tour Players Committee talks and the PDGA Board of Directors for majors talks. So, so. <laughs> Nick, I had this wild idea, and you're gonna be like, "Really, Matt? While we're doing a live show, you have this idea." 
what we, I don't even know quite how to do this. So we're, we're going to push it off. But what I'd like to say is I was going to literally try it right now, but we're going to push this off maybe next week. Are you still yeah. up here next week? Or you yeah. So next Thursday will more than likely be my last show in studio. Okay. I haven't hundred percent decided when I'm going back yet, but, and then everybody, the show probably yeah. just ends at that point. Yeah, no. Like it may never come back. So next week, yeah. bombard it. My, my girlfriend keeps yelling at me to get back down to Virginia. I'm just kidding. So here, but here was my right crazy now. idea because man, everyone's on the edge of their seats. Yeah. What's the idea? I think we take Judge that disc golfer live. I know we don't have to do it always that way, but like we will literally make a way. Like you hashtag like Nick and Matt show or Judge that disc golfer hashtag Judge that disc golfer like mm-hmm. an Instagram or something. Yeah, we will find you, and we'll provide you the 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 way to get into our show, mm-hmm. and we will go live with it, and we'll ask them live like how far can you throw a disc? Yep. And then you answer <laughs> and just run up to someone it. on the course. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean like now, like somebody calls in like live. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I got you. <laughs> like I got Skype's you. right I in. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be kind we'd of fun. To, we'd, yeah, we'd have to filter out, make sure we don't get someone who's yeah, going to completely. True. We have yeah. to do a, a, like a screening process. Real provide quick, reviews to, uh, and references. Brody, I more than I will be there, Brody, the day before you come into town. Paul and I were just talking about that a little bit earlier, but yes. Man. So I'll be there. Thanks, Brody, for hanging out here. Obviously, Trevor was here tonight. Eagle was here. Yeah. I, I don't know who else. We have people, you know, join in later. But here's the deal. There's obviously the who's who list. But I want to give a shout out again to all of our, I'll use the word faithful watchers, viewers, listeners. Truly, it blows my mind that just because I like to talk and people, yes, I know you make fun of it all the time. I talk so much. <laughs> But just because we like to talk about this stuff that people think we have a good show, like or, or some people do, like I'll, I'll make a post like, hey, tonight we're talking about this. And someone's like, oh, yeah. like someone I've never met. Like, I love your show. Or I see someone on the course. Hey, you're doing great things. Keep it up. Like, really like it. And it just. Yeah. I don't know how to feel about it, except for like it's encouraging. So thank you for the positive comments. Yeah. Thank you for our viewers. Thank you for our listeners. Someone last year, uh, last October, I was playing a tournament down in New York, and uh, it was actually my best tournament of the year. I got second place at a B tier, lost in a playoff. Sad story. But anyways, during my practice round the day before, someone shouted for me. I was on hole like eleven, and they were walking down hole one. They kind of intersect, and uh, he was like, "Yo, Nick Carl." I love your podcast. And it was just kind of like this warm, fuzzy feeling that people, I, and I wanted to say this earlier, but like we have the most wholesome chat. And honestly, like people in our chat are friends with each other now because of this <laughs> podcast. Like we've got the docs, the Todd's, you know, the Jeff's, the Ken's. Oh, you're going to leave Matt. someone out now. No, Dan, yeah, yeah. All Daniel, these people. Yeah. I can keep, I'm I can just going to list going. the whole list. Yeah, SS, just, just Jay, ask all Ryan but, Hunt, Matthew yeah, Shaw. We're just giving shout just, outs now. Ethan Hoffman. Ryan, they Hunt, have, they Doc have, Zed, they might not even be Todd paying attention Bouchard. to us. Yeah, they, I mean, we can't miss these guys. Exactly, I no, gotta no. keep going. So they, thanks for doing that. Now I just gotta keep listing names. Yeah, don't, Let's I already, see. I already said Let's the majority. See. Did we? Did we? Do we? So um, comment if we left you out. Yeah, no. Um, we did have to ban yeah, somebody last week, Nick. That's the first time that I've ever banned anybody, and now it's twenty nine yeah. episodes. Yeah. So the the comments, just, Sam. Um, shout out! We're getting ready to wrap up here. You guys are all a great, great audience. Christopher Narbo, always Narbo. from you Norway. Are, yeah, the Kroners, you're killing it with those Kroners. I think, just to be honest, though, I think 33 of them is like a dollar. Hey, we really appreciate it. Shoot, anything, <laughs> but to be foreign and like say like I'm giving you 100 is just like it's <laughs> yeah, awesome. Exactly. And then thank you to Chris Carpenter, four dollars and ninety nine cents. Yep. Well, I'm shouting out now what you've given us. That's cool. Thank you. Yeah. Very, like this goes into our fund when we need something. Like we pay for like some of our streaming service stuff. Yep. Uh, when upgrades are needed, all that stuff helps us keep going, and it just encourages us. Thank you, Eric yeah. Sterner. Um, 
and even someone who just came out and was just like, wow, like I've been sleeping on this show. Like yeah. I didn't know it was here. We were like, oh, Joe Yask. Joe Yaskis. How Joe, many, how many red Vibram shirts you have? This Matt? is so funny. You rec so to our listening audience, you don't see it, but I wear this red Vibram shirt almost almost every week. And it's the logo yeah. up behind. Look, I'll put it up behind Nick on the wall. I'm wearing the red shirt. Oh, yeah. That is the shirt um that I wore for that logo. So I kind of just do it each week. Yeah. Cody Enervald, we really want to say we appreciate you sharing it to all your Facebook groups, the uh, disc golf groups that you're in. We really appreciate that for everyone. But anyways, fire topics tonight, everybody. I really (laughs) need to send you a dark horse shirt ASAP. Brody, if you send me a dark horse shirt, this is kind of weird. Like, there's a few weird things that happened today, like about like thinking of things and then it coming to fruition. I thought like we aren't like huge on taking sponsorships for the show. That not that being said, we might we might eventually. But like right now, we're just enjoying it. Like it's our own thing. Yeah. Do what we want. We offend somebody. Oh well, like Nick and I. Shoot, like, sorry. But I thought to myself like if somebody wants me to wear something on the show and it, and I don't hate it, I'm gonna wear it. Like yeah. give me a hat, give me a shirt. Like I'll we'll put something on the wall behind yeah. me too. Check out these foundation hats. They're yeah, fire. I'm all about the free snow. But yeah, I, yeah so, step Brody. up Trevor shirt. I'd love that, Trevor. I'd absolutely be rocking that. So you can send me one, Brody, if you'd like to. I, that'd probably be the best way to get it here. Um, I'll wear it Call on the show suit. for sure. I would do it for the right price. Twenty bucks. Oh, twenty bucks. Yeah, sold. I'll see you in a couple of weeks. A clown. Give me the twenty then, Brody. No, yeah, Brody, just buy me Chipotle <laughs> and I'll wear a clown. This suit. is like Shoot. the after show show. Like yeah. people driving around in their cars right now are like, this is just ongoing. Yeah. Let us know. Come comment on the YouTube if you like this. Like later, like if you're listening in your car and you're like, that was actually fun. Let us yeah. know because it's funny because I'm seeing now Brody say, like I'll send you a clown suit or something. Yeah. Anyways, so um, I yeah, I mean, I guess Brody hit me up through the show Instagram or something through Nick and Matt show and I can get you um yeah address and whatnot. Yeah, Ken, I haven't worn this hat to work at all. I wear a beanie now at work because it's also freezing cold. Tomorrow, I think Matt, I don't know if you saw this, but tomorrow <laughs> is supposed to be a high of ten degrees and a low of negative one degrees. Yeah. So, so people that aren't from New England or Massachusetts yeah. are we I was thinking about that earlier too is like What's the what's your normal you know winter playing temperatures? I feel like that's pretty cold. Like you don't want to throw <laughs> your cheap I'm plastic. Not, I'm not going out tomorrow. <laughs> I'm gonna go find much. someone to judge that disc golfer in that like temperature. Like this is a you're dedicated a disc golfer. Yeah, you're like, a savage. Well, maybe, I'm gonna maybe be I'll go and just up be with like, gloves. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. We've come down to the end of the show. We did not do judge that disc golfer. I, I don't want to set you guys up every week to think we are doing it. But mm-hmm. if you're new to the show, you're like, what are they talking about? Go back and watch a lot of our previous shows and find out what that's about. It's one of our favorite segments to do. Yeah. Um, but we're going to sign out for tonight. I want to give a quick couple of shout outs really quick. Shomez is starting in like 43 minutes. So everybody go check out Shomez going on. Foundation we're the is unofficial always... pre-show, by the way. We're the unofficial. Yeah, exactly. Foundation is always dropping the Grip Locked podcast, the party podcast with Hannah Macbeth. Check out all the YouTubers doing their content creation as a disc golf community. Let's just help all of each other out. Um, once again, you guys are the most wholesome chat that I've ever had the pleasure of being in front of. I really appreciate it. Matt, I know he really appreciates it. We're going to sign off for tonight. One last week of me being here in person. Tell someone you love them this week. We'll catch you in the next one. Peace out, everybody. Peace. Oh, peace out again. <laughs> Tell someone you love them. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to the Nick and Matt Show. Be sure to check us out on your favorite social platform and subscribe on iTunes.